Greetings, and welcome to episode six of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast, a series of conversations about jazz and metal. I'm your host, Hank Steamer. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please consider searching Heavy Metal Bebop in Apple Podcasts and then subscribing and leaving a rating or review. Also, any kind of social media shout outs are, of course, hugely appreciated. You can also check out the show at heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. That's heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. So our guest this time around is drummer Chess Smith. And to call Chess merely versatile would be selling him way short. He's played the most advanced jazz with artists such as Tim Byrne and massively heavy rock with bands like Theory of Ruin. And he's also covered just about every point in between with projects like Mark Rebo's Ceramic Dog and Trevor Dunn's Trio Convulsant. In any of these settings, he's always managed to sound both totally natural and completely like himself. And that's not even touching on his extensive experience playing Haitian music. I've known Chess for quite a few years and have always enjoyed talking music with him, so it's great to have the chance to sit down and hear how his interest in jazz and rock developed and eventually overlapped. Chess stays extremely busy, so a good way to keep up with him is via his website, and that's ChessSmith.com. That's C-H-E-S-S-M-I-T-H.com. All right, let's get into it. You'll hear a little bit of Fafnir, a track by Good for Cows, Chess's long-running duo with bassist Devin Hoff, and after that, my conversation with Chess Smith. like all the records that there are to, to sift through I guess like I kind of wanted to talk about Theory of Ruin um, mm-hmm. because I just feel like I don't know that much about it and mm-hmm. it's not a band that you know I, I don't know there's just not a super much information out there about it so I'm just sort of curious if we could talk about like how their project got together and everything yeah sure well I I was in between bands at some point actually I think a year but a year before Alex Newport and I, or Alex Newport actually called me, he had um, asked about me, and someone told him I was already in a band, and, and that band shortly uh, broke up shortly thereafter. You know, this is in San Francisco, and um, then I think he—I don't think he heard about that. Or uh, you know what it was? He it was this band called Prayer Wheel in Sacramento. But we, you know, half of us lived in the Bay Area. We mm-hmm, practiced mm-hmm. there, so we were sort of like an Oakland band at that point. And um, and he, Alex, wanted to produce that band, and then, um, and I think he had, you know, I don't know, he, you know, he'd only, he'd only heard recordings, really, mm-hmm, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I think he wanted to, he was interested in playing with me or having. You know, I, I don't know. He he was interested in the drums of that or something like that, and um, then eventually that band broke up, and then a little while after that, he he called me and said he was trying out, you know, trying to find a drummer for a new band, and 
I found out he was like playing with the guy from Chrome, you know, like nice. John, John Stinch, I think they called him, you know, and, um, and somehow that, you know, he was like, we we're both big, like Chrome fans and he somehow that didn't, that just wasn't right for what he was trying to do, which was, you know, it's pretty heavy. Like, yeah. like he was coming out of, you know, his band's fudge tunnel nail bomb, although he was definitely looking to do something much more angular and nothing. He was trying to get away from, like distance himself from you know he was like fudge tunnel was on earache and you know he was always getting and it was really heavy and like post sabbath sledgy stuff and he was getting he was getting called metal all the time and he really was he was sick of that for some reason like Uh, he he didn't he just didn't consider he's always been more of it sounds weird but almost more of a songwriter you know so so he was always and but he liked really heavy music and he always played heavy music but but he just thought the metal label was limiting for him. So he was really trying to get away with that more explicitly with theory of ruin. And, um, we, you know, we had this bass player at first named Ian billet and he was, you know, he's, he's from Florida and was really coming out of like extreme, like punk, like in your face, you know, smash up the audience kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like he, they, they'd hang out, like his old band would hang out with the mentors and shit. Nice, like nice. if that gives you an idea, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, among other things, you know, and, um, but he was like a really nice guy and like fun to play with, but it was like super aggressive. And then like, as soon as we started playing together, it just became our mission to be the loudest possible band, you know? And like, I'd come in and Ian, you know, there was all these used, uh, music stores at the time in San Francisco is before, right before it got impossible to live there, you know, and play music. Um, but you know, they, they'd go get just like any secondhand store, they get as many speaker cabinets as they could. And one time I, we had this huge practice room, like down on, you know, army street by the water where at the time there was nothing there at all, you know, just warehouses. And, um, I, I just heard this, I got, like parked far away, just heard this rumbling, you know, and then I was like walking up and Ian was standing outside of the, like had a really long cable standing all the way outside the room because he couldn't be in there because it was just too loud and he was playing his bass outside. Wow. You know? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was just like dumb, dumb stuff. And we like practice every Saturday and Sunday for eight hours at least, you know, like all day long and, and like just going over these songs. Like, I mean, Alex would like really just, tweak out on them and fine tune them but but i at first i was like god why are we doing this and i was i was already playing jazz you know and and where you just rehearse once and go play the gig you know but but i started realizing it was getting me in shape to be able to deal with the the amp levels you know and then you know i started trying to just get the loudest drums i could and things like that you know and i was already playing with marching sticks okay and um so it was more you know it's really super aggressive but but um yeah, it didn't really sound, it sounded, it was like too, t- definitely too arty for the metal crowd as we found out soon, you know? And then, um, then eventually Ian, Ian hurt his hand. And I think, I think he and Alex were really having, Ian wanted to continue the total freak out, you know, like no separation with the audience, you know, that whole, whole thing that was eventually, it was starting to be this good noise scene in the Bay Area, actually this good, you know, like kind of coming out of punk and you know mm-hmm, like lightning mm-hmm. lightning bolt and all these bands were right. starting on, on the other coast you know and um so ian was really going in that direction or he was already there you know and, and alex i think alex just was looking for something different you know 
like definitely songs, you know, but, but like, you know, songs, grooves, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And then we got David Link who had done a lot of like, he was pretty much a songwriter too, but he had done stints with hardcore bands like, like Slapshot in Boston and, you know, some other, some other stuff. So he was, he was like coming out of aggressive music, but I think he fit in more with what Alex was trying to do. So th- this is about around like 2000 or something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I met, I started playing with Alex in 99 and then, yeah, beginning of 99, something like that. And then, um, yeah, that, it only, that band only lasted really till 2003, maybe 2004. We did a, you know, a stray show or something like that. And you did, and there's the, there's the one full length record. Yep. And that's pretty much it, or oh no, there's an EP. There's an EP too. Yeah, okay. called, the the full length was called um, <laughs> Counterculture yeah, Nosebleed. Counterculture Nosebleed. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then the the EP is um, Frontline Poster Child, mm-hmm. and that was they they both represent what David Link brought to it, but I feel like it we really started. Um, I, I guess yeah, I. I almost feel like front uh count the the full length had more of a slightly more of a like heavy fudge tunnel kind of sound like in the guitars you know and then and then the it got it got even more open with with the next EP so I think that mm-hmm. was kind of where we were headed you know it was still really aggressive and bombastic but um yeah just different things going on with the songs you know mhm mhm now what was your exposure to alex's music before that were you like a big fan of those other bands actually i'd never heard any of it okay you know but i did hear i just knew from people i knew that they like you know they he was he was trying to do something different you know and then right and actually yeah i guess that was a little bit of a a uh a little it took a little bit of a, a it was kind of a negotiation between the two of us back and forth because he liked he's not coming out of free improv or any of the stuff i was doing at you know and still doing you know um at all so I'd, I'd always be bringing that into the music and then you know he'd always be like you know oh it's just it's just a little meandering if we could just you know and then like like <laughs> you know so that was you know, and then he'd be like oh god i can't follow the beat you know and um and, you know so then i'd go okay and you know i'd try to put it in a form it was good for me because i you know it'd make it would eventually he's good at finding the hook in what i was doing even if it was really fucked up right. sounding you know so so he that helped me you know for like i'm still using the stuff we were kind of working on you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then we were both into like just mind like endless repetition for you know kind of you could call it a groove or you could call it really annoying you know like one of the one of the two or somewhere in the middle, you know? Um, But, you know, like we, so we had certain aesthetic things in common we were into, you know? Well, so what do you think that he had heard in your playing that made him want to, want to work with you? Probably. I'd like to think a groove thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, Probably that, because I, I just listened to this prayer wheel stuff. Like, there was a something that never got released. I think I just found it on YouTube, actually. Or I did find it on YouTube, but I had it on cassette. And, um, yeah, I, there was it was interesting what I thought. I kind of was like, man, why didn't... You know, that, that was a band with two 
three of the musicians in it were like six years older than my friend Norm and I, who uh-huh. we were like grew up together, like we were in high school and he was a guitar player. And yeah, I just think I wish one of those people would have led the band stronger because I think it there were certain things I heard where I was like, why did the song go to that place after that? You know, and that was probably my idea at the time. And they just humored me, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's good to have someone, it can be good to have someone cracking down. And that's what sure Alex did a little bit more of that. And then we'd all get, you know, getting these discussions about it, you know? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But, but I think, yeah, I think I, I, I like, you know, like, I mean, there's just a little later time in my life, but I, 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 I listen to the theory of ruin stuff now and I go, oh, yeah, that's, that's satisfying. And then I listen to the older stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, that I, I would change this and I would change that. You know? Okay. But anyway, um, yeah. So I, I guess Alex heard that the, he probably liked the solid parts and that I was coming up with, with, you know, what he thought were interesting drum parts, but you know, there was some stuff like I just go for like some, elven thing in the middle of this tune and it didn't you know it wouldn't quite pull it off at the time you know i mean speaking from where i'm at now sure and, and how i how i hear music you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm curious like from that point like were you when you, when you entered into that band were you saying to yourself like i'm a jazz drummer you're like self-identifying as a jazz drummer no not really but i loved jazz you know and i loved playing it and i love free improv and you know and, but I never thought, I always thought I was free to do in like rock, no matter how heavy it was, whatever I, whatever I could, wanted to bring to it, you know? Sure. Which, yeah, it's, it's the matter of how, how, I think I was naive in, in how, what, you know, like, or I wasn't honest enough at the time about what was working or not, you know? But also, it's it's hard to tell. Like I, you know, I was just playing with Mark and you know Rebo and Shazad the other just the last two days, and I was like, God, I wish I could hear how they're hearing it because I don't know. I kept going, is this working? You know, like like you know, we're just coming up with. I was coming up up with parts and stuff like that, and it's it's still it's you know still tricky for me to figure out what even what drum beat really works. You uh-huh, know, uh-huh. like, but um anyway. Wait, what was the question? You just asked me a question. Um, I, I guess I, I guess we're just saying, yeah, mm-hmm. like at the time, were you thinking of yourself as like I'm a jazz drummer now? I'm going into this sort of oh, heavy yeah, band. Oh yeah, yeah, not not really. Like I I was still solidly had been playing in like definitely rock bands or you know, um, but you know like the whole in, like punk and indie thing blew it up in my mind to where you know, I thought you could really try anything. And then I was interested in all this other music too. So I just would, I just go in and play basically, but, but it had to be a certain volume level that, that, that can be a limitation, you know? Right. Like I can't do so a lot of subtlety goes out the window and even, even really fast stuff, you know, at that volume, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I guess just like going back further, like if you could sort of take me through, I'd like to hear the like path to rock and metal and then like the path to jazz and like which came first right. like i'm yeah. just kind of curious like maybe you can just start with which whichever one yeah well i grew up i mean earliest things were copying my brother playing drums and then and then like rolling stones and beatles records and then whatever was on the radio you know and then it wasn't till 
and I had like friends that were, you know, in grade school that were into metal, like would wear Iron Maiden shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And Motley Crue stuff, but then like the first first metal I really heard was at the roller skating rink. <laughs> but that, that was like, you know what? You know the most pop metal. Like you know, I mean like Motley Crue was like the heaviest stuff, or right. Quiet Riot, you know things like that. Twisted Sister, you know, and um, so that was like, oh yeah, that's and I liked it, but I was like. Oh yeah, bad people listen to that. <laughs> you know, like just based on who I'd watch at the speed skating thing, it was always a teenager. I was like probably eight or nine, you know. It's like some, you know, teenager with a rat shirt and like acid wash jeans and like feathered hair and you know. And it, it just reminded me of like I grew up my first grade school was really in the you know kind of on the white white trash side and people would like <laughs> s- steal bikes and like, you know, like just all this stuff, I was like, oh, man, that's like, it's just so hard, you know, it's hard, hard environment to be in. Um, so I kind of associated metal with that because, you know, all my friends that from that school became like metalheads, you know. So I was like, well, I do like the, I like how the music sounds, but I, I kind of, you know, looking back, I would have been saying, I, I'm not sure I want to be a member of that subculture. Totally, totally. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. But um, then... And also, I just didn't, I always just felt like I wanted to be me, you know, or I didn't really want to have a uniform, things like that. Totally, you know? yeah. But then, you know, I was always friends. And then in high school, it just became anyone that had, that was not a jock. You hung out with punks, metalheads, skaters, like it was all one group, sort of, even goths, you know. And so, yeah, so just jumping through, I went through like a hip hop thing in junior high, and that's kind of all I was listening to. And then... um early high school that my friend norm that i mentioned got he became just a total hesher like you know because <laughs> he started playing guitar like just got into metal but he turned me on i hadn't heard metallica yet okay you know, and he turned me on to that and um but then there was all this like as it went on it, there was all this crossover with like punk you know like minor threat and dead kennedys and black flag you know like that was we listened to Metallica, that, Slayer. You know, well, Slayer was big when I, and Sabbath mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I got, I actually got into Black Sabbath after, after Metallica. And um, I just knew, I knew Ozzy, but I was like, oh, that's that metal stuff from when I was a kid. You know, I thought like Ozzy Osbourne. You totally. Know? Yeah. And, um, you know, like Randy Rhodes, stuff like that. I was, you know, less. You know, then I, I, you know, I just, then like Sabbath looked like just old hippies or whatever. <laughs> they looked like they just forgot to cut their hair. So like, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. And the, and the music was like undeniably heavy. Like I was just gravitated towards it. Right. Know? Yeah. Um. So, and at that point, and I was playing drums a lot more by high school. I kind of took a break in, in junior high and um, yeah, Norm and I just started playing together. And I remember the first, we tried to play a Poison song together because that's all he knew on guitar at the time. And we were, I remember we couldn't line it up. Like I was like, oh, I know this is the beat. And he knew that was the guitar part. It was like, how does it go together? And I totally wish I could get back to that mindset, you know, because it would probably be hilarious. You know? What was the Poison song? Talk Dirty to Me. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and, and we both were like, yeah, it's, you know, the poison sucks, but let's play this, you know, and like, like you know, like we we were anti glam metal for okay. sure, okay, or you know what we like hair metal, I guess you'd call it, right? We had no idea what New York Dolls were or anything like that, right, know? right, you know, like, um, yeah, or even you know, or Motley Crue was acceptable, but they were totally, 
they kind of pioneered that, you know, glam metal thing yeah. in a way, you know, lipstick and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, Tommy Lee's a good drummer. Oh yeah. No, yeah. No, they're, they're a really great rock band. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was, so then, then it was not till really, you know, I started taking drum lessons in sophomore, junior year of high school, pretty late. Cause I wanted to, I kept hearing about like rudiments and then people were reading music and I didn't, you know, know how to do any of that stuff. And, um, I just got curious about it. So I, that's actually why I sought out a teacher, which is kind of funny looking back. Cause I feel like I, I was really young <laughs> at the time. You, you mean you, you, the root, the rudiments are just, yeah, the, that I wanted to learn to read. Right. You know, right. Sure. Cause I was so, you know, I tried taking piano as a kid and that it didn't work out, you know, and I didn't have the discipline at all, you know, but then I kind of went around it and ended up, yeah, through drums kind of got me into studying in a way, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, then, you know, I had this teacher, he was like, he'd talk about dead Kennedys and stuff. And then he'd be like, oh yeah, and check out Tony Williams. You know, hmm. I was like, what? Like, and then at the time I remember I had, I had a teacher in school that told me jazz was Steely Dan. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, my dad listens to that. Yeah. I don't think I'm into jazz, you know? <laughs> so, so, um, but then, you know, this teacher, this drum teacher later was, you know, making like cassette tapes of all this music. And I was like, oh, this is actually, there was something there and I just kept listening to it and then that led to meeting people that were into it that were, you know, actually once I went to college, but um, I met some friends that were into all this heavy music, Mm -hmm, bad mm -hmm. brains, all this stuff. But then they they were like, oh yeah, you should, you know, like they were really going after bebop and Coltrane and kind of like went, you know, went from Coltrane's quartet backwards, you know, and then, right. But they really like thought jazz was where it was at and they were, I trusted their rock sensibilities. Mm-hmm, so that, mm-hmm. that was like, okay, you know, that's kind of how I got into jazz mm-hmm. basically. Well, what was the, like, what was in terms of like those tapes that he was making or whatever, like what was, wh- who were you gravitating towards? What were you hearing that was like exciting? Well, like, well, Elvin Jones was on there with, with train mm-hmm. and I, you know, I didn't understand it at all, but it just felt great. And then Tony Williams, that was way over my head, but, just you know something about the phrasing and and i i got a feel you know i was starting to learn a little bit about polyrhythm and and mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know that was in there and and even really straight up swing stuff this buddy rich thing you know and then papa joe jones sure you know, like yeah it was like count basie so that yeah. was you know that that's like there's a lot to grab grab onto that you know if you're like a kid that's never heard jazz before you know like there's riffs and stuff like yeah that, you yeah know? And, uh, yeah, the swing and just the sound, you know, the sound of those, a lot of that old stuff is so great, you know, just so unfiltered, you know, and especially the, you know, the miles and all the Rudy, Rudy Van Gelder Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. It was just like sonically really nice place to be, (laughs) you know, and like no, you know, nothing gated stuff like that. Right. You know, so I think there was part of that. That was a little bit of it. So like, you know, you said you were playing poison covers with your friend and like mm-hmm. w- when, what was the first like sort of like band scenario, like, 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 you know, first rock band or, or something like that? Yeah, that was yeah. right. Right. It must have been really close after that. We met this guy, Dave, who had a lot of ideas. <laughs> he was a guitar player 
had a carbon stack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know? And uh, we'd practice in my bedroom. You know, I can't even imagine this now. It was in the <laughs> suburbs, but like still, it was like loud. You know, I like. Well, actually, I thought I had lost hearing in my right ear because of that, but it turns out I had a. When I was a baby, I had some ear infection. Oh that, wow! That my mom thinks took took a little bit of it out. Uh-huh. You know. Um. You know. So yeah, the good news is you can just play all the fucking loud music you want. It doesn't matter <laughs> at all. You're probably already deaf and you don't even know it. Um, but uh, yeah. So that those three and I and we found a bass player. Like started like writing our own music in quotes, which <laughs> sounded a lot like you know Metallica and Justice for All. You know, like it was just like that kind of complicated junty you know yeah. stuff. And and I was really you know at that point I was into Rush and like all this super overplaying drum stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, not really improvising yet, but we started, that band started, there was also this like psych influence, you mm-hmm. know, and, and like we started just jamming. We'd spend a lot, you know, we'd practice like five nights a week. Yeah. Eventually we got, we got kicked out of my parents' house, I should say. I mean, I didn't, but the band, did, <laughs> you know, and we had to, we found a, a practice space that we could rent, you know, it was cheap. One of them was in a um, in a storage facility that that people would just open up their their um, you know open up the, yeah. these, like storage garages. You know, like you'd see these everywhere. Totally. Like they have them here, but there's it's just a different setup in New York. But like um, yeah, and it would just be like 110 degree Sacramento summer days, and all these metal bands are out there. And then I remember like Dave made us close. He's like, yeah, we should close our thing because they're going to steal our riffs. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like, that was always a concern. Stealing Very savvy. Riffs. Yeah. Very savvy. Like, yeah. where did we steal our riffs? You know, like, <laughs> like our, our riffs sound a lot like other stuff. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and then dudes would come by and be like, yeah, man, you guys sound good. Want to jam? Like these older guys. And we got into really uncomfortable situations because we were, we were like too young to say no to anything, you know? <laughs> But yeah, so so yeah, that we we ended up doing that, and that that kind of got us into jamming and other sorts of music, and then, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was gonna go on, but but if there's another, no, no, no okay, yeah. yeah. Well, um, oh yeah, yeah. So so that then we started playing, you know, gigs wherever we could get them, a lot of parties and some clubs that would let us play, and then that kind of led just to be i think norm no no we we're don't yeah we were all still living with our parents but norm somehow got into contact with these like older musicians maybe five years older like out of high school for sure mm-hmm. and um <laughs> you know this scene in sacramento it was like definitely underground scene and and just bands playing around you know like like deftones came out of there and right and like um that band cake eventually you know but that was okay. a little bit later and then you know, um, and oh yeah, yeah. So Norm kind of, but he Norm just found the freaks of these scenes that would like, we'd start going to these parties and see a band just doing a totally free improv set, mm-hmm. you know, just stuff I'd never heard of before. And then they'd be playing a punk, you know, set next, and then you know, same band, or you know. So I was like, oh wow, that's. I just got the idea that that was cool, you know, like to be into all this stuff and. And I think that was just before, that was around the time I started getting the jazz cassettes, you know, and then I'd kind of like, I'd almost be scared to ask my teacher, like, hey, have you heard of like 
Albert Eiler, you know, like I didn't know if he thought that was just off limits or what, you know. Well, how did you, I mean, how did you hear about that? Well, from these guys, these older musicians, yeah, or Coltrane, you know, like that was the first time I'd heard of John Coltrane and they were probably referencing his, you know, post Rashid Ali stuff, like, you know, late, late sixties, mid late sixties train. Um, And yeah, but they were kind of, and there, but there was definitely a Sonic Youth crossover, you know, like, like into free stuff and just atonality, basically. Like, I started getting it in my head that that was the, something you, you want to check out. You yeah. Know? I, I'm curious, like, before, like, you said, okay, so you said you're playing this, like, um, Injustice for All type of stuff, which, mm-hmm. like, you know, certainly is not like a novice type of drumming like 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 were you sitting there and you mentioned rush too was there a period of like you know shedding double bass like sitting there trying to like you know play along to these records like how- yeah yeah there was i'd say more rush taught me a lot because i remember like trying the first time i encountered like playing in seven i was just like what like i didn't i had no this is before lessons i had no one to tell me anything i was just like why is he doing this you know like <laughs> like like why does the riff end there you know or like why is the drum part in there you know like right like where is the last beat you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then yeah i remember getting really like frustrated like throwing sticks down you know and then um i forgot i think i there was you know my brother had learned some drums from an an older neighbor who was Mm -hmm. into like at that point he was into like fusion you know so i think he was like oh no it's 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 not time signature there's this you count it like this or you know your brother yeah or my brothers asked his friend his older friend and then his friend came over and like told me this stuff you know and then you know and i think he was surprised i was even like really playing every day and trying to play the records, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so eventually I, I sort of just figured that out and that, you know, I just kept playing those kind of tunes, which have a lot of changes in them. And then, then I think by the time I listened to Metallica, I was like, Oh, that's, that's like this. And, you know, even if I wasn't counting it, I was used to hearing odd kind of things, you know? And I never, I never played double bass, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't have a, I didn't have, you know, I didn't think to try to get a second bass drum and I thought I'd never afford a double pedal. And then I forgot if there was a drummer that I saw that it was like, that's cool. He plays like with just one bass drum or something. But eventually I did think that, well, John Bonham, you know, I was really trying to get my right foot like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big, big influence too. And I think I started, you know, getting, I worked this horrible job at the state fair cleaning up garbage and puke you know <laughs> and then um i got this drum set though and it was not as big as that but you know like 24 inch bass drum i still have it it's like a great drum set but it's just a tama rock star like kind of entry level line but i just got oversized drums because i thought that's what bonham did and started drinking the whole thing <laughs> whole yeah, thing right great idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real real role model yeah, personally. Yeah, totally. Started drinking thirty screwdrivers <laughs> at a time. Um but 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 so I mean that's I mean that's pretty impressive though that you I mean you were actually playing rush songs like you were I think it probably sounded terrible, but mm-hmm. um and you know, and that was another reason I wanted to go take lessons because I was like, wow, Neil Neil Peart's hands are super together and then I didn't even know what a paradiddle was, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, that really took a long time to get together for me. Like, 
um, something about the way that I think that my drum teacher in high school did a good job of giving me like an overview and certain things and like a lot of basics, but stuff that would, I could build on. He wanted me to, he was thinking like, just get this guy uh, playing what he's excited about, you know? And yeah, then, which is then, great. Yeah. yeah. Then later I went, when I went to school, I sought out another teacher cause I was a philosophy major. I wasn't a music major. And, um, and that guy was a marching band guy and he really was like, no, do this five minutes, do this five minutes, do this five, you know, then do this for an hour. And, you know, it was like really regimented practice. And I think that's where I started actually getting my hands together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I mean, but you know, you don't have to have someone show you that. Like there's people just have like naturally great hands. Sure. You know? Yeah. But I think for me, I had to work at it. I'm, I'm kind of a wily <laughs> tech, technique, <laughs> technique wise, I'm, yeah, yeah. You know, there's stuff I've never even corrected. You know, really. Uh -huh. You know, although at this point, it's it's been going on so long, I've had a lot of chances to work on things. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's it's improving. So so you okay? So you had this this first band, this sort of like young metal band, and then and then the older guys got involved, and it became this uh, what was it called, Prayer Wheel. Oh yeah, yeah, that did come out of that. But, okay, but, you know, those weren't the exact people. Like Norm, I, I started. I went to. No, it was right before. It was we graduated high school, and then I hadn't seen Norm, and he called me. He's like, "Man, I got this. I, I just hooked up with these guys. They're they're awesome, you know." And like, you know, it was like like older dudes. The bass players, Dan, was really a great bass player from East LA, and really into just like heavy, kind of almost like it sounded like walking bass, but it'd be really repeated. You know, like you've heard, it was like it became popular in a lot of 90s music. Right, you know? right, right, right. But like really solid and, and he, you know, and just really fun to play with for a drummer. And and anyway, I, I got sort of got them started, rehearsed with them, and then I had to go to school up in Oregon, you know, so they had to find other drummers. And then, you know, fast forward to when, a couple times they'd come up and, and um, we do a Northwest tour if they if they were in between drummers or something like that. And then, um, yeah, I think they played with a lot of different people. I think maybe even Abe from the Deftones was playing with them for a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they just kind of they went through the whole circuit of every drummer they'd want to play with in Sacramento. You know, and then anyway, when I graduated school, that was when I moved down and rejoined that band like okay. full time. Okay. So yeah, that was. And those guys were into, yeah, like Truman, the singer of that, I remember going to his place before, like when I, late high school, and he's like, yeah, you should, yo, you haven't heard of John Zorn and Mark Rebo? And it was like, I hadn't heard of any of that stuff, you know? And then he was like, it's this whole downtown New York thing. And because he got into Mark through Tom Waits, you know, it was right. like an influence on him, you know? And anyway, I just remember, so there were always, it was just people that were older, open people that were into all this stuff besides rock, you know? So that was, you know, again that and and those guys knew those older guys that had that I'd seen playing free jazz and stuff. You know, right. it's kind of just all. I mean, it's not a big scene in Sacramento, right? But, but it seemed huge to me at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and and like so so the, like you you've talked about like a fair amount of like early experience. You know, playing in that rock band, different rock bands. Like, mm -hmm. where was the when did actually like playing jazz as opposed to just listening to it on those tapes? Like when did you actually start playing jazz? Mm. Um, well, okay. There was a band in between the two prayer wheel stints. I did this band Buckhorn 
<laughs> up in <laughs> Eugene, which is actually really important to me. It was um, my friends, Jake and Dana. I'm still still tight with them. And they're, um, Jake especially was a really into getting into jazz. You know, he was the person that I mentioned that was like, like got into, you know, first through Coltrane and then just all this jazz stuff and just yeah. wanting to get better at guitar, you know? And so he was a, like a jazz studies major and, and I was like, Whoa, I could never do that. You know? And then, um, but then the second year he was like, yeah, I have to, I'm, I'm doing a, maybe it was the first year of school. It was when I started actually practicing bebop stuff, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. and um, yeah, I still remember like when my my hand, right hand wouldn't couldn't play an up tempo swing thing. You know, I still remember that that what that felt like, you know, and um, so you know, I just realized I had to practice a lot more, you know, and and um, and it was a whole different thing, different dynamic level. But but Jake eventually said, you know, like, hey, I want you guys to be my jazz combo at school. I have to have one, you know. And, um, you know, I remember, like, the, the teachers were great. Like, Gary Versace was out there, the, you know, the yeah, sure. piano player yeah. out here. Um, he was there at the time, you know, so they all, someone was always making comments on the ensemble that helped, you know. And, um yeah, so then we, and we just kind of, we had our own, that Buckhorn band going on the side, which is like pretty, had a lot of like gent metal stuff, but was, I'd say like Bad Brains influence and some other things. And, um, but we, that band really started incorporating free, like total free improv sections, <laughs> you know, and stuff coming out of that. And, you know, a lot of jamming to come up with stuff. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. Then, um, but that, that same band on the side, we started getting gigs around town playing, playing jazz, you know, like happy hour stuff, you know, for tips or whatever, you know? And, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of how that started. We're like, oh yeah, we can just try to play this. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, but we were, we were like, Jake was getting a lot of, at school and there was people around, you know, just students and things like that. And older jazz drummers, I'd start going to check them out, you know? Like around, even around Eugene, which is a, it's a small scene, but people knew, knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know? But in terms of like, like you were talking about trying to get this, this swing together, mm-hmm. like, um, mm-hmm. who was, was, was somebody like telling you how to do that? Or you were just kind of listening to it and trying to figure it out? I, maybe someone told me to play with records just like I'd been doing with rock stuff, but, or may, I might've just figured it out or decided to do that myself. But, but I was just like, oh yeah, I should just you know, play along with this Art Blakey thing. And then, you know, as I remember, there's that Thelonious, no, the Jazz Messengers featuring Thelonious yeah, on oh that yeah. record, yep. you know? Yep. Like, I listened to that trillions of times, you know? And maybe it was, it might've been rhythm ending. And I was like, okay, that's that's too fast. I can't even play that yet. And then, and I was just trying to figure out why, what the comping, you know, the, even the snare drum and bass drum comping, like what that was about, you know? Like really, that's kind of a trip if you encounter it for the first time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, like the the dropping bombs, you know. Um, and yeah, so so I started on that, and then once I joined Jake's jazz combo, I um, one of the this was really helpful for me. They they made me transcribe. They had these juries where you had to play stuff from the repertoire, you know the canon so to speak and um 
I would, they said, yeah, learn all the comping under a solo, even if it's a chorus, you know, like, but they'd say ideally the whole solo, you know. So I, I just, I had to write it out. I couldn't possibly memorize it all. But then I realized, like, especially with the Philly Joe and Miles stuff, um, there was parts where I wouldn't have to look at the page at all, you know. And my reading was terrible, too, so I'd kind of, like, at the time, you know, like, I'd kind of had to read read and sort of be remembering it and learning it as I went. You know, it was like this weird back-and-forth process, you know. Um but I remember certain things like the, I started realizing the musical sense of it in a, in a way, you know, like, like Miles would play something and Philly Joe would answer or vice versa. And then those are the parts I didn't have to read because I just remembered it, you know, it just made sense, you know, and then other, other things, um, yeah, didn't, didn't as much. And I just be like, what was that? You know? And then I took it way back and did like chick web and stuff, partly because people had said it's good to check out older stuff and then probably because it was a, it was a lot less to remember you know exactly yeah <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but they you know the teachers were like oh you know it's, it was very historical that was really great you know and like and i was like this rock dude from the outside played you know i still had just that huge drum set you know i mean big size drum set and everyone around me was like wearing literally wearing suits at that school like the whole young lions thing was right like right 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 full effect you know yeah and um but everyone was, was like much nicer than they could have been, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if you've seen Whiplash, for example. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I never got, I never got hit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank God. And that was a, that was a, that was a um, documentary, right? Whiplash? It was. Yes, yeah. it was. Okay. Extremely, yeah, extremely cool. factual. <laughs> but, but, but so you, you were saying like, like you're sort of allegiance or whatever was was kind of like to rock like you'd kind of like cast your lot in that simply because of the gear and because of yeah i guess so yeah yeah well i was well the jazz thing was too late at the time right you know and that but then i end up ended up it wasn't until my sophomore junior year of college i just went four years like actually graduated on time and stuff somehow and um but I, but i ended up getting a used like bebops actually i still have a lot of it you know it was this ludwig orange sparkle thing but it Mm -hmm, had a 20 mm -hmm. inch bass drum and then a year later i got that smaller bass drum just some custom thing you know and uh yeah and just different kinds of symbols like i was like oh yeah maybe this super i used to use those first model zildjian z's Mm -hmm, you know like mm -hmm. those just ultra ping yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) With that, you know, they're like, oh, this they fe- they featured this horrible hexagonal hammering pattern, you know, right? Like, like that was a selling point. You know? <laughs> like, like, oh, great, <laughs> really warm, you know. And uh, but you know, I, I like those because they didn't crack, you know, or yeah. or it took me a long time to crack yeah. them, you know, because I was using bigger and bigger sticks and stuff like that. Um, but then you know, I got the smaller. I remember someone was like, made a comment when we played the combo the jazz combo played at school and someone was like yeah you you know you, you have a lot of stuff together it's sounding really good but you might want to like try to get more of the sound like get it smaller drums and blah 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 and the bass player of buckhorn was like man i just kind of think they just want you to conform man <laughs> you know like but really i mean they were like both right but you know it was just funny we're in that young mindset like yeah i'm just gonna 
keep trying this thing that doesn't work at yeah, all. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. But I've I've kind of stuck with that mindset in a way. Like, um, yeah, it eventually became. But you know, and then you'd see Tony Williams with these huge drums by the you know the seventies and eighties. You know, same sizes as I was playing, really. You know, and um, but you know, he came was clearly coming out of something else. He didn't start playing sure. heavy rock. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But, yeah, I, I guess at that point, um, I didn't know what I was, but I kind of thought, I remember having, like, maybe a little bit later, like in my early 20s, was like, I'm not sure if, like, total, just straight ahead jazz, as much as I love it and I'm playing it and going after it, if that's going to be my ultimate thing, you know? Like, my ultimate expression. I remember... Like, I still have, like, notebooks where I was writing, just having a crisis, like, what am I doing, you know? And, like, trying to figure out where I was going and how long I should study something, you know? If, But I think I did the right thing. I just kept, I just put all the worries aside and kept kept going after it till I was playing all the time. And then, you know, so then you're, like, trying to, trying new things from within the music versus just trying to impose some, you know, quote-unquote, creativity on it mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. but but i felt like already i was like oh yeah i feel like in rock i can do i can try anything i want and people i'll find people that would want to play with me you know um just because i you know i had seen so many examples of that in in person and live you know just really unique drummers and then i you know but i knew that in jazz but then like music school was telling me I really had to assimilate all these drummers and sound like them. Yeah. You know? you yeah. Know, so that was, it was just tricky for me in my head, you know? And I had a, at the, at the same time, simultaneously a good attitude and a bad attitude, you know? I mean, just about like, I guess rebellion versus getting inside of a tradition, you know? And, and, you know, these are like quite, these questions don't go away. Like, but I'm glad how I dealt with rock was actually the thing I came no no care about tradition whatsoever. That was the only music that I you know I just grew up with it, you know, or I felt like I grew up with it, even though I didn't. I'd never listened to an Elvis record or like like right or even blue you know old blues stuff or where that music came from, you know, um, R and B and all that, um, but you know, then jazz was another thing like that. And then later the Haitian voodoo stuff, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and the Haitian voodoo, I'm still, I'm getting much more free just cause it's been happening so long, but I'm really not concerned with being myself at all in that music. You know, I just want to play, I want to do, do my job, you know, like when I'm yeah. playing, oh, playing yeah. that stuff. Absolutely. And, um, jazz, I was, I mean, I was just younger when I got into it. So I think I was having more existential crises about, what I should be doing or will this, will I eventually be myself? You know, that kind of thing. Well, there's a couple of things that you mentioned I want to talk about, but like, mm -hmm. like in terms of this thing of going further into straight ahead jazz, like you mentioned, you know, playing the, the kind of cocktail gigs or, or whatever. Um, yeah. and then, and then playing these recitals, like how far from there did you go into, into that? Were you, was this, did this, um, Buckhorn band like become like a regular gigging jazz like like how far did you go into the straight ahead stuff? Well, eventually I, I moved. You know, I graduated. I moved back to California, moved right. to San Francisco, and then I really started playing 
with, you know, I, that became my job actually, you know, it took a few years, but to really make that happen. But, you know, I started meeting just people I know now, like Devin Hoff and people that were already working, you know, like five nights a week playing jazz, you know, and there's, there's a few jazz clubs there and then a lot of restaurants to play in. So, um, you know, and that was all tunes, all standards or people would write tunes, you know, but all, a lot of swing based stuff and, you know, like modern jazz basically. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, um, good, you know, good players, like older players would, you'd end up on gigs with them or they'd let you sit in stuff like that. So that, that got really, that was like my whole twenties really, you know, like that was like my job. And then I started I sort of got into the New York thing by accident, like just started touring with bands that I met people that ended up taking me out here, basically, you know, and that was not so much straight ahead. People to varying degrees, people would have backgrounds in that, but everyone's doing all this stuff. A lot of it sounded more like rock to me, you know, like when I met you basically. Yeah. 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 Um, But like, when you were playing, but, but like the straight ahead stuff, like, you know, I, you, you mentioned kind of having these like crises of like, where's this going to go? But like, mm-hmm. you, you felt really, you, you, you were, you were in it. Like you, you were, you were, you had sort of mastered it with, for lack of a better word. Like you were. Yeah. Enough to, yeah. Enough to be working. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. And then at the same time, yeah. So I, I was, I was in it, but I was, then I started, yeah, I'm trying to get back into my mindset at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to keep working in that, and I was still practicing a lot. And then, but at the same time, I was I was getting involved with the, like super f- very free improv scene in the Bay Area, and then doing stuff like all that was coinciding with my prayer wheel and theory of ruin stuff. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so I do kind of those other gigs that you know i was making a living doing the jazz thing and then and then sort of wasting money on these other things you know or or not not making money on these other things and but i just felt like that was i needed to i wanted to explore all this different music you know and um and i was kind of like eventually i'd run into like man like you know some some free it was very like european influenced free music yeah although there was you know but there was you know different scenes but like glenn spearman was was out there who's a very you know very american and and like marco anidi who played with cecil and sure like was yeah. out ended up back out here you know like there, you know there's different sort of camps but all those things went together as long as you weren't going to play a whole lot of time and, and <laughs> you know and yeah. swing right right and, and chords you know <laughs> um and then you know, and like, and Willie Winant was that, that was, he was kind of my gateway into the classical new music thing, you know, like, so that, and he was playing with Glenn Spearman also, he was also a good improviser, so, and really open-minded, he knew like more about weird rock bands than I did, you know, and um. anyway, so there, like, Willie was a person that was open to all this stuff, but then a lot of the free people would, you know, maybe not to me, but in my presence, like rip on the rock or or jazz straight ahead scenes and then yeah. the straight ahead people would be like why do you like you're playing with who like that's jive that you know like that kind of stuff and and i guess that probably happens everywhere but i it was so i just stopped talking to people about the other stuff i was doing out there because it just wasn't worth the 
the headache, you know. And then eventually I started touring with bands where I could sort of mix it all up. And, you know, in a sense, I was trying to do that with Theory of Ruin, but it definitely had to stay on the, the beat and heavy side of things. Sure. Know? Like, you know, but then, you know, I didn't really get, really start not worrying about genre till well actually i met the mr bungle guys that was important for me you know out there when i started touring with them even though that was on percussion but at least i could we could talk about all this music and everything was open you know sure sure sure, like sure. i was like oh this is cool we like trey and mike and you know trevor and you know i had met trevor i saw trevor doing all this different stuff and i was like okay i can totally relate to that you know and then you know that kind of once I started coming out to New York, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, you just play, you know. <laughs> you don't don't really need to, at, at its best, you don't have to worry about, is this fitting? Totally. Yeah. Especially genre-wise, but even, I mean, you know, you have to, I don't know. Yeah, just people call you because they think it's going to work, and it usually does, you know. So, so you felt like that was a like moving here. That was something you left behind. This, this, th- th- there was a dogmatic way of thinking that you were encountering out there that 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 you found less here. I feel like that, yeah. which probably will strike some people I know as crazy talk, mm-hmm. you know. But, but just for me personally, and and it, you know, I was young. I was really quiet, and I've always been pretty sensitive to stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I just felt like. Like, oh, this is what I'm doing. My ideas aren't crazy. They make sense, actually. You know, like when I play with different people out here, you know. And other stuff, I had to... I was almost too too weird for some some sets out there, you know, in California at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's also, that's opened up a lot out there since, since you know, the late, late 90s. I feel like the... Yeah, actually, that first tech bubble in like 2000, 2001, something like that, when that burst, all these gigs went away. And I think for me, that's when, I mean, it was harrowing and I had to like start cooking pizza on the side for a little bit and stuff like that. But it was, uh, the music got really fun again, you know? I mean, not like, yeah, not like it was a disaster before, but you know, that was when the noise thing started happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People were doing, getting together to improv jazz players were improvising more freely and stuff like that. You know, just things I didn't really see in the late Mm -hmm, nineties. Maybe I was mm -hmm. looking in the wrong place. I don't know. Right, right, right. Well, like, so, so the, um, the Mr. Bungle thing was, like I, I, you were sort of playing more like an auxiliary role in that. Totally, yeah. Kinda. Just, just I was subbing for Willie Wynette, which right. was, yeah, multi percussion, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, yeah, so so I was playing a lot of parts, but would have you know some improvised stuff, you know, like a duet with Patton on a Doombeck mm-hmm. <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. And um, but yeah, even that the first rehearsal, they're like, okay, that'll be great, you know, like like it was like my ideas fit in, you know, how I naturally played or heard music would fit in, you know? Um, and, but I was like starting to learn Mal, you know, Mal, vibraphone marimba and all that. And that was like a serious crash course. Cause there was, there was some hard parts and I just would like look, memorize the music and look down at my hands the whole time. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it was before I learned how to read on those instruments. 
And and were you a um, were you a fan of all those guys? Like, were you a, a Faith No More fan? And like, yeah, like sort of- yeah, I was into Faith No More, and especially in high school. And then I liked Angel Dust a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was when I was just starting to go, about to go to college. And then, um, um, yeah, the first, but there was a bungle cassette called Bowl of Chile, which, mm-hmm. which or Bowl, yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Anyway. Um, and I actually didn't like that, you know, like these guys were like, Oh, if you're into faith, then we're in sac back in Sacramento, they're like, check out Mr. Bungle, man. You know? And, and I didn't, I was like, man, what is this? You know? And then, um, uh, yeah, then, then that first record came out and I was like, Oh, that's actually pretty disturbing. And I saw them, I was super high. Like I saw them in, you know, <laughs> New Year's Eve and SF like 91 or 92. And, um, yeah, that was the one Patton pissed in a shoe and drank it, you know, and like this is a story that's I've heard all across the country since then. And I actually saw it happen. Wow. Know? Wow. Like, and I was like, that he's not that can't I, that looks really real. You know, like, <laughs> I was like trying to figure it out. And I just felt creeped out, you know, and then like Primus played and, and I just left, you know, and I was there. Oh, and I also saw the Melvins the first time. Ever oh, OK. Night, you know? OK. Yep. And that was like a really big deal because I. I had heard so much about them in Rolling Stone and Spin that I was like, oh, this is going to be another, like, poppy, like, Pixies. But I don't even know if I'd heard the Pixies then, but, like, um, like yeah, I just thought it was going to be, like, jangly pop music <laughs> right, or right, something. Right. And then, and then yeah, they came out, and I was like, it was, like, Bullhead era. You Whoa, know, like, the yeah. slowest stuff i was like this is the best music i've ever heard i was super baked you know <laughs> and then you were the target audience yeah for i was that. yeah and it worked you know like and then ever you know since then i i just saw them every time they came to town you know but um yeah yeah anyway and i knew i knew mike from faith no more and you know they were all wearing masks i didn't know anyone else but someone was like yeah you should check out that bass player trevor dunn he's sick you know <laughs> like um so yeah, I just watched that show, but as a whole spectacle, I was like, wow, they, that was really, I was almost like, um, yeah, like looking back, it was like an amazing, pretty amazing art piece, you know, but like at the time I was just like, this, these guys are really fucked up, you know? And, uh, yeah. So then anyway, then, then just after that, I was like, and, and then I kind of, you know, by the time the second bungle record came out, I was like, oh yeah, I don't. I hadn't been listening to the first one much at all. I wasn't like, you know, the Bungle fans that just are, yeah, you know, insane. Um, so I, I ended up, I was like, well, I'll check it out. And it was Disco Volante. And then again, I was like, whoa, this is, this is pretty heavy. Cause they had totally gone to a different place, you know, and like different, you know, Trevor had wrote a lot for that record. Yeah. There was a lot of even free jazz influence and Graham Connor played a solo on mm-hmm. piano on it, you know, and um, you know, and then I, Willie was on percussion too, and I saw them live, and I was like, that was the first time I'd seen Willie, you know. And then maybe two months later, I saw him playing with Thurston Moore in a free setting, and I was like, oh wow, this is like, you know, they kind of kept being just ahead of what I wanted was into, you know, or like it kept being super relevant to me every time they'd put out a record, you know. And then um, yeah, then just as. I don't think I had gotten California yet where Willie was like, was like, Hey, I got, I got to use you as a sub on all this touring, you know? And I was like, okay. You know? And then, you know, I, I was, I had just gotten to school to study with Willie and in grad school in Oakland and, and 
he sort of asked me if I wanted to just do that. And then it turned out I had to take time off school, like right from the, right at the beginning, you know, but I was like, I got, you know, Willie was like, you should really do this, you know? And, you know, he was right. I learned a ton and met those guys, became friends and it definitely led to a lot of other stuff, you know? That's pretty incredible to be like in grad school and to have like, I mean, cause in the way that's what at that stage of your life, that's what you should be doing. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like touring with a real band is going to get you way further than yeah. being at school. So it's kind of amazing that well, it, like linked well, it was, up. it was debatable because Willie was such a practical teacher, you know, yeah. like I could have, I actually did get a lot out of grad school, you know, like on a, on a academic and shedding level, you know, like, but that was, yeah, it was really good. I, and I'd already been doing regional touring, so it's not like that whole thing was, um, you know, and I was already playing five nights a week, playing jazz, you know. But, but yeah, with that group of guys, I'm super glad I did it. And I was also excited about learning all that music, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, there's like 10 million things I want to ask you about that you brought <laughs> up there. Um, I guess, well, one thing that, okay, see... You mentioned the Melvins, and when I was listening to um, the Theory of Ruin record, and maybe it was just the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the... the, uh, the Ribbon Crasher? Yes, yeah. right. So was that a direct, like, Dale thing? You know, actually, Dale is the greatest drummer. I should just start by saying that. But actually, that was something I happened onto in Skip's music in Sacramento wow. in high yeah. school, you know? Yeah. And then, it actually was probably might have been a year later when I first heard them, first saw them, and then I didn't really notice it was the same thing until I... St- I think that's on Bullhead, or it's definitely on a lot of those records, you know? I'm trying to think where it first comes up on, on the Melvins stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. That's I like think a it historical is, question. I think it is on Bullhead. I yeah, think but, it is but on anyway, Bullhead. I saw yeah. him... Maybe he was too far away at that first gig, and I was just too blown away and all the other stuff that was going on in my head. But, um, you know, I saw him at Wow Hall, which is a really you know much smaller little room and um eugene like a few months later like next time they came through the northwest you know and and yeah i definitely saw him playing that there i was like oh man he's playing that too you know but he was yeah and i was also using big drums but not that big he was using like a 15 inch tom or something and 20 inch floor tom at the time you know but his you know his feel and stuff that was like if I ever sound like him, that's why. It's just because I did listen to him. Yeah, <laughs> you know for what sure, I mean? for like, sure. Like really great, super, one of the best, you know, j- just like a, as a unique a groove as a lot of other groove drummers you hear about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like he's up there. Yeah, I feel like, like if I were to characterize your sort of more rock-leaning playing, like it seems that you would come more out of, you know, you mentioned Bonham. Like I, I wouldn't put you in the, you know, the, the Neil Peart school. Right. Right. Like I would put you in the cat. I don't know what you call that other side of drumming where it's like, cause Crover very different than Bonham, but like that mm-hmm. side of things rather yeah. than like sl- slow being the kind of like baseline and groove. Yeah. Yeah. You know, definitely behind the beat, behind the beat. Yeah. And actually that, the prayer wheel bass player Dan was always like, you got to play behind the beat, man. Like, and he was, you know, he was just old, older enough 
to be able to be just dogmatic about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was, he was like, you know, like, and I was like behind the beat and he's like, well, you can do it this way. Like he'd explain like how to play the snare drum that way. He's like, or just, you know, like John Bonham's great at that. And I was like, okay, like that, that sound, I know that, you know, like, and, um, you know, cause I was like also really into Stuart Copeland as a kid and like mm. that whole really on top mm-hmm. thing. And Tony Williams could be like the jazz version. You know, yeah. there's jazz, you know, Mike Clark, people like that. Totally. Like, there's a whole New York thing, you know, um, that connects. But yeah, yeah, I guess. And, and yeah, Bill Ward's pretty behind the beat too, you know, but it's like you just hear it. The, the whole recording of John Bonham was so resonant that it feels like it just, the whole thing just implies like it's taking all this time, you know? Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, so I was influenced by that. And part of, part of it's just production, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Bill Ward because you mentioned Sabbath. I was wondering if, like, as an actual drummer, like, he was someone you were specifically checking out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, as a drummer, um, a little bit more just the music in general. But but I I would learn, like, I learned um, all the fills on, like, War Pigs and um, The Wizard, that, you know, that the first record with the cowbell thing in it. Because my friend brought it over, he's like, dude, you should learn this. And then I, I like learned, I just sat there in the room, you know, it was like a, he was sleeping over or something. It was in high school. And then I just, I don't know what I made him do. Why I just sat there and learned this whole thing. <laughs> like, 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 okay, you want me to learn it? Well, then we're not going to hang at all. Yeah, yeah, I got to yeah. sit here and learn. This yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like, Oh, you, you totally learned it. You know, like <laughs> that's, that's a great, like great feel on that song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Snowblind still is like oh, one of the God. heaviest beats. Yes. <laughs> like I don't understand like even the I got to kind of figure out the ghost note thing, you know, like or how it was recorded, you know. Sure there's compression involved, but Yeah. Yeah, I was I just keep listening to that groove even now, you know. Yeah, that that's to me that's probably my favorite Sabbath song like everything about it. Like Yeah, it's it's in a weird juxtaposition that's like that sludge and it's about coke yeah exactly exactly yeah <laughs> like steely dan level <laughs> contradiction yeah um so okay so the touring with bungle thing is happening like and like you mentioned before that there were some gigging situations and i don't know if that was sort of in the new york category but like some gigging situations where at a certain point you felt like you didn't have to separate these things anymore and you could just sort of like be all of it or whatever of it you wanted like where where do you first remember being able to not worry about the uh, divisions mm. well and uh, one on the earlier side which wasn't i mean it was like 15 years ago it wasn't that that long ago but when i remember trevor went after trevor dunn had moved to new york and i you know we were friends by then and he came back out to do just a gig with Philip Greenleaf and I, this, you know, sax player in the uh-huh, area. Uh-huh. And, um, and I, I just remember that being really fun and free. And that, that led to him. He had met Mary Halverson right, right after that. And he, you know, he, he called me. It was like, yeah, I keep thinking about that gig we did in the Bay area. Mm-hmm, and I met mm-hmm. this guitar player and I think he wanted to do his second trio convulsant, you know, based on those two things that had just happened, you know? Um, well, no, okay. And then I think before that, actually, I was playing in Graham Connor's band, you know, great composer and piano player. Mm-hmm. And um, and also I started playing with Ben Goldberg at the same time. Ah, okay. And then 
there was one gig with Graham that Ben was on actually. And, um, and I'd met Devin too, Devin Hoff. Yeah, that was, yeah. Now, now that I'm saying this, I'm, I'm going to be circling all. Oh, the sure. Place, yeah. But, no, I'd like but, to hear about all of it. Yeah. But yeah, that there was one, like a tenor solo happening in Graham's music that was sort of over a vamp, but we, we just pushed it to like almost total freedom. But Devin and I at the time were doing a lot of that and, and keeping the time at the same time, even if it wasn't even close to being stated, you know? Um, but that really happened. And, and just that, like, I just remember the whole band like turning around and they were, they were into it. Like they just thought like something something really great was going on you know and really it's like i was like if i would have known that was gonna happen i'd be like oh i'd get kicked out of the band for that you know like it was really as free as i wanted and i was just completely being like all this stuff was sort of coalescing at the same time like a bunch of sunny murray and elvin and bonham and bill ward and all this stuff at the same time you know so i guess that was but but it didn't. I wasn't referencing things. It just felt sure. like, like I was just just playing, you know, like it, like in the flow. It just felt like a flow, you know. But um, yeah, I should go back and say Devin and I. I met Devin on a jazz gig, and and he started talking to me about Ornette and Black Flag and all this stuff. And he was like someone I met where I was like, oh, this person you know, is a really good jazz player, and he, I can really relate to how all everything he's talking about, like openness wise and we you know we started we were originally trying to start a trio but no one would show up but us to rehearsal so we we just were like let's just do a bass drum duo you know that's that's how good for cows started mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then that was kind of my first writing too because he was like just i'd just be like hey, i wrote this thing he's like let's try it you know and then like we'd kind of finish each other's tunes and he was super supportive in that way you know and um yeah, but he we'd write stuff and I might play a beat on it or it might be more swing or it might be free. And, you know, that was kind of an early thing of me getting to not not worry about, like, you know, what, what you know, definitely not worrying about genre. Sure. You know? So, okay, so, well, yeah, you, you, were, you started to talk a little bit about the trio convulsant thing, but, like, mm -hmm. you said that was another instance where you kind of felt like you were amongst... Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And especially once I met Mary and once, right. once Trevor started bringing me out here, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that was definitely, like... Like, I mean, Trevor was clearly into all this music, you know, and, and I knew that on a personal level, but the way Mr. Mr. Bungle was pretty, you know... Um, along the lines of Zorn, you know, some of Zorn's music at the time, like the, you know, like splicing references and genres. Right, you know? right, right, right. And um, and Trio Convulsant was more, there was a, a little bit of that, like in, in things he'd asked Mary to do, you know, but um, really it was much more or, organic, so I could kind of just really be myself, you know. And um, so that was the thing where I was like, wow, then this is, you know, I felt like it was working and then that, that led to, and also, you know, Mark Rebo like started calling me around the same time and, and it, that was a similar situation, you know, I mean, a lot of it just needed beats, you know, but like it was very, um, yeah, I really, I felt like I could totally play whatever I was hearing and wasn't, you know, I'd never get, um, 
you know, frowned upon because of that, <laughs> maybe for other reasons, you know, but, like, <laughs> but yeah, like, like Trevor, Trevor's thing was just before the ceramic dog thing and that, right. That was really, yeah, I felt like I could really use everything, all my experience up till that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I was, I was just sort of going back to that record, the, the trio convulsion, like, yeah, the, the, the dynamic range is, is pretty huge. I mean, Mm-hmm. And just in terms of the writing, I mean, it, it seems to call for you to go as as far as you can in both directions. Yeah, yeah, and that that became, yeah that that became a not a problem, but something to navigate for myself as we started doing more tours in bigger rooms. You yeah, know, like we did the Melvins tour. I think that was cool, but I started playing really like i wanted the loud parts to be loud you know like and i i was coming from theory of ruin volume you know which was very you know as, as hard as i could play you know and um and trevor was they were really cool about it but i think it was getting by the time we toured with phantomas i was really just like you know it, it brought it kind of br- i brought the whole dynamic up not just the loud parts you know because yeah, yeah. then it's like everything's so loud that how are you going to play quiet you know where the amps are blaring and stuff you know so then we um you know we yeah and someone even commented on that and then i or i saw it online or something and trevor was like yeah it's you know i do like smaller rooms where we can play quieter and stuff like that and i was like oh yeah maybe that wasn't you know that wasn't what they were. I can't even imagine what, what Mary was thinking. Because <laughs> you know, she's she's uh, playing. Well, you know, the, just a semi hollow body at the time. But she was, you know, she's just like an open person. But you know, these days I would not subject her to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, yeah. I, I so I think that kind of became like how. First of all, why do I have this macho volume bullshit? And then. Secondly, how do I, how, how do we stay at that dynamic? Like, is it possible to be that dynamic, like that loud and that quiet, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I do really like, I love, that's my favorite situation to play in, but you know, how do we do it? You know, ceramic dog is like, it's a constant negotiation about volume, you know, like I'm, I'm just too loud. Okay. okay. When I play rock, I just hear it that way. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, yeah. For sure. You know, so and I want to use big sticks. They just feel better, you know? And so we've solved it. Mark gets as far away from me as he can on the stage. That's how that mm-hmm, band works. Mm-hmm. And Shazad points his amp at me. He's always using a, you know, 810 with an SVT head, you know, and he's been known to like, just take his hand and turn every knob, you know, just move it, move it sideways and turn every knob all the way up, you know? Um, but then we, you know, we'll we'll do stuff where we want it to be as quiet as possible, you know. But also they use volume pedals. It's a little easier. Right, right. They, I don't know. It's just that kind of stuff is not so practical with, I mean, you, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It just depends on what kind of player you are, you know. Like I wouldn't want Trevor to be a slave to a, a volume pedal. I'd rather mm-hmm. just, you know, calibrate the dynamics a little more, you know. Well, I, I think that's like... Um definitely probably the first like extended exposure I had to your playing was yeah seeing Tria Convulsion in the in the bigger rooms and yeah it just was I don't think I really knew too much about you know your history mm-hmm. but I was very like one thing I kind of wanted to talk about I've been talking about with other people too is like okay this thing of 
you've talked a little bit about this thing of like, okay, the di- sort of the division between the genres, like whether it's just in people's heads or whether it actually exists, but this thing of like, especially as a drummer, like kind of having to choose or something like what, what side of that fence you're going to be on. And I, and I remember when I was watching you play that, uh, yeah, that I felt, you know, as a, as a sort of rock oriented drummer myself, like I felt like you were, you were natively playing it. You know, it wasn't this thing of like jazz playing rock jazz musician playing rock which as a in drumming is almost like a thing you know what I mean? you can sort of tell when somebody doesn't have that thing where they can fully unleash or they want to fully unleash or something and i feel like when i heard you play rock it sounded like bonham you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you were it was brutal you know what mm-hmm. i mean in the way that i wanted it to hear it you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so i don't even know if there's a question there i guess i guess i'm just saying i like the fact that you were going as far in both directions as you were not sacrificing the like native uh dynamics of each of those styles oh okay okay yeah yeah that yeah i think my only problem that could have been a bummer for i never heard mary complain about it but um and trevor didn't complain either but i think trevor eventually was like we took a lot of time off and every time we played again it was definitely in a context where if I played as loud as I could, you wouldn't hear them at all, yeah. you know? So, so that's not, I don't want that either, you know? Sure. <laughs> you know, so, um, but yeah, I think by the, by the Phantom House tour, which I don't know if you saw any Yeah, of that. yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah you yeah. were on that I, one. I yeah, saw yeah. a couple of those games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, especially by late there, it was, I think it was just, I was trying to play, I was probably playing much louder than was then would have been effective like at all times, you know, you know, just cause like what by that, at that point I'm just using big sticks and everything's symbols really high and stuff like that, you know? Um, yeah, but it's hard if some, you know, if, if something sounds like it needs that, you just have to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's this, that's that thing. It's the weird thing about, Okay, because you were talking about like the technique of jazz, right? And and it's such a at this point it's such a academically rigorous thing. Like I think to the average person, it's kind of like you 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 do not mess around with that music. You do not play it unless you are like unless you take all that time to learn how to do it. Oh, okay. And I think that like yeah. rock is not necessarily thought of that way, but the truth is that it needs just as much care and concern of like natively knowing how to do it before you can sound like you know what you're talking about. Does that make any sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I agree, and it's hard for me to totally get in. I think you're right, but that you know, it's hard. I, I just grew up with rock, so it's hard for totally. me to. Totally. Yeah. It's this sounds. I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but it's hard for me to take it seriously. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, right. Um. I guess all it, I'm, I guess all I'm saying is it's no easier to play rock convincingly than it is to play jazz yeah, convincingly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I, that that's probably true. Yeah. And probably true with anything. Like, man, I did a session with Rebo and you know Steve Earl was on it and um Tony I'm blanking his last name but he's you know Dylan's bass player and done a ton of right uh ton yeah. of different stuff I know you're talking about yeah great yeah. great musicians yeah. and it's <laughs> just like holy why did Mark call me for this you know because mm-hmm. it was just like the whole country and even folk thing I'm I feel like I'm seriously lacking but then you know Mark was like well I just kind of wanted a punk drummer playing with these guys and then 
He's like, oh, maybe that's the same thing. And Steve Earle was like, I was there. It is the same thing. <laughs> you know, like, they were all cool, you know. But that's I, amazing. I just felt like, man, you know, like when you hear that country pocket, you know, like, yeah, I just haven't put in the the time, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It's like deep shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, like in a in a way, yeah. Like any style, if you really want to go there, it's going to take just yeah. as long to get there. Yeah, and people do the work, and it's great. You yeah, know? right. And the Haitian stuff. That's you know, I've been at it for, God, yeah, like 18 years, you know. Wow. And just the feel alone, you know. And it took me a long time to hear what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, so yeah, like, 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 so you're saying the rock, the rock feel, you were never really worried about authenticity or something because no, you just kind of were there. All. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. And, well, I don't know if I was there, but I just didn't care. Right. <laughs> you know, I was young enough and dumb enough and but you know like there's a lot of weird stuff that i like you know like the song my sharona like what the fuck is that you know (laughs) (laughs) there's there's so much perverse shit that's happened that that yeah the the bar didn't seem set too high right you know and and metallica's like making up their own triplet feel you know Mm -hmm. and then misfits kind of maybe they took it from the misfits you know Mm. I don't know. There's just it's just always seemed really open to me, and then I, like funk metal was happening when I was in high school. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just like taking slap bass, but just rushing through it as fast as you possibly can. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or that's one way to look at it. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I I didn't know, and then and then you know there was just a by the time I got into jazz, it was right when like Winton was really big, and there was this very serious. Uh, I mean, not not like it just came out of that. Like, I think, ten, you know, even the, you know, the AACM and other so-called, you know, like so-called free or what you might think of as avant-garde or things like that. There was, there's always been a, well, we have to really learn all this and, you know, like, yeah. like a, a seriousness about it, you know? And I guess, I guess I got, I took that seriously for lack of a better word, you know? So... And also I'd realized I didn't know what I was, you know, I just didn't, I hadn't been listening to it that long even, you know, so I thought I should really get into it and take my time. In in terms of that feeling of that you can kind of just, you know, be yourself and explore that whole spectrum of what you do, like, like, do you feel like that's continued into other groups? Like, let's say like Tim's band or things like that. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And that's brought more of the percussion stuff I was trying to learn and kind of forced right. me to really own that you know because I, I was just doing my my solo Kongs for Brum stuff yep. which which I could make that as I I, I kind of use that band as a way to just keep working on the vibraphone you know but um but with Tim it's like I suddenly had to be improvising and I was like do I even have license to do this you know and but we just kept getting into they just liked it you know like it, it opened up the band a lot and I'd interact with Matt Mitchell especially a lot you know and um you know and still and then I'd just be like shedding like practicing as much as I could on our downtime or every sound check stuff like that just trying to you know Tim's music's crazy Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um so yeah wait but the question was that that idea of studying no i I was just kind of wondering like you had you had alluded to you know getting to a point where you felt in certain bands like you could kind of use your whole Mm. spectrum of knowledge yeah 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 and tim 
Yeah, that was kind of at Tim's encouragement. He was like, why don't you bring the vibes, man? You know, and I was like, no, I, there's no way I can't do that. You know, and then, um, yeah, definitely Tim's, you know, like I could play, I've, I've played sections of Tim's music where I'm just drowning everyone out. Like, you know, just, I can really do whatever, or, you know, I can do whatever I'm hearing in that band. And, yeah. You know, they, I have no idea. I mean, they said sometimes they, they might not like it, but it's not, I'm not going to get talked to about it, you know? Totally. <laughs> and then the percussion, it's like I've gone as far as um, possible in, in a lot of those open sections or, you know, and Tim even, I just stopped playing drums on certain parts that, you know, you would think would have drums, you know, like the more funk things or, mm -hmm. you know, play vibes on that or just maybe improvise something on the timpani. And, you know, the more I did of that, Tim was like, wow, you know, like these... Tim was really liked, like by the time we started recording, he really liked how, what it was doing to the sections and how it would lead into the open thing if I did a totally different approach. And then, it, you know, it just became where I could sculpt it however I wanted yeah. every night, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that was like really felt, you know, even more open, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it must be pretty cool to get to that point where you feel like you're in these contexts where you're, you know, you're working and you're making a living and you're, you're playing in these situations where you don't have to, um, set aside, you know, certain Party. parts of your personality. I mean, right, cause, cause right. it's like, obviously, you know, that you were talking about doing the dinner gigs or something like some people continue their whole career playing in a very, you know, somewhat narrow stylistic context. And, yeah. And that's and it, yeah. And yeah. Let, let alone the, the question of, people talking over you you know like right. it not being a setting where they're, they're focused on the yeah, music yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. that was that was hard you know honestly like but at the time someone was like yeah you should you should move to new york man like, people take it seriously like you won't i think it's not good to have this experience of people talking over you all the time and i was at the time i was young and the, you know i was just happy to be playing gigs you know in, in the bay area and, and i was like what like why would that be important <laughs> like i just didn't I didn't realize what he was talking about, you know, that like, it's good to be, you know, take the music seriously and have other people around you listening to it seriously, you know, or however they're listening to it, but actually listening to it, you know? Um, so there's the, you know, there's that, that question, but yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, but I think all the limitations have been really good for me, you know, but, but I, it, it, it does feel, yeah, it's rewarding where I'm at now, where, where I feel like we're, there's every, you know, everyone I play with and other people I don't play with around, around New York and the, the world actually are, are really just going after the music. You know, that, that feels good. Like trying to do different things with it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And then, you know, like I started noticing the more you sound like yourself out here, the better um, I mean, the better you do for lack of a better word that I wasn't, I've, I haven't, I've never been like a real career person, you know, but like that, that is kind of true. Like people do listen to you if you really are trying to do something different, yeah. you know, yeah. or especially succeeding, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been, you know, you could look, some, some people have said I've heard, before I moved here, people would say, oh yeah, it's like a niche thing. Like you have a niche, like mm. an angle or something. But I feel like that's a, it's not that looking at it in that jaded of a way doesn't really make sense. Cause it's actually inspiring, you know, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. actually people are, 
they're not having a thing in quotes. They're just doing what they hear and it's different from what other people are doing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like that sort of like culture you're talking about where like that being celebrated. And I think that sort of segues into talking about John Zorn, who you've been playing a lot with lately, because it seems like that culture, first of all, that listening environment thing, it makes me think immediately the stone, but like, and it seems like that culture when people's like individual instrumental voices are celebrated, like that's such a thing that he's fostered through yeah. all his music. Like, like basically taking someone as a really eccentric thing and then really like pushing that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to a point where I'm like, God, do I even sound like myself enough even to play with him? <laughs> you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've had that thought before, you know, and, um, and actually he's, He's certain pieces of his where the drums have a really important role. He's, um, you know, like worked with me in a way that really helped, you know, like, or just challenged me to really come up with stuff, you know. And in a way, it's like a not, it's like a challenging way to improvise because I normally don't improvise so consciously, you know, but, but it's been really great, you know, like, like the pieces where he's, where it's a, you know, complete through composed score for piano you know like we can even call it classical piano mm-hmm, or, or mm-hmm. classical piano and vibes and then the rhythm sections improvising you know oh you've been involved because i know there was one with like tyshawn doing oh it. yeah 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 tyshawn's done a ton of them and okay. kenny wallace and also yeah i've done a lot of those is there a record point. of you doing something like that i don't know i haven't recorded any of them actually. okay yeah but um you know, but we've been like one, one, one's a cello piece that's just cello and drums. And that's, that's really tricky because a lot of times it's acoustic, you know, but it's like, you have to try to imply this huge dynamic range and still hear the cello. And, you know, it's like one of the most challenging things, you know, and improvise and, you know, really come up with interesting stuff, you know, pretty much at all times, you know, but then respect the piece too. <laughs> you know, there's like sections, you know, that where playing loud or you know playing a busy bombastic thing doesn't make any sense you know like there's spacious parts and things like that so but, this is a just to get through this is a full fully scored cello thing that has mm-hmm. no written drum part right exactly okay. yeah and you're just kind of you, you kind of just take it upon yourself to kind of learn the score so that you yeah, can yeah 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 i have to i have to learn it i i from what i understand it perhaps i don't know i just like you know knowing as much as possible about any piece I'm doing, you know? Um, I mean, I imagine you could, there'd be, could be in a really interesting version where you're not even looking at the page, you know, but, um, but there was other things. And also, you know, John might decide he wants something accented and then you have to know where it is. And it's all this crazy stuff going on that leads to this one point you're supposed to hit and you're playing free outside of that, you know? So it's like a lot to keep track of at the same time. And I, you know, I did a piece for his, he had some birthday concerts in San Francisco in September and a lot of those, we did like five pieces and it's really dense, like many, like vibes and piano parts, like completely going in this, in this, uh, you know, different cycles that would come around every so many bars and you had to kind of keep track of that while, you know, I'm kind of going crazy with Chenier, um, you know. Um, he's playing bass and, you know, we're improvising this stuff around. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's just really challenging. Is that kind of like the conducted improvisation where it's kind of like, like John might give you sort of cues or things in the moment? Or? He he doesn't conduct doesn't. on those, no. And, um, 
But at rehearsal, if he feels like something stagnant, he'll say, I need, I need change it up. And the, but that doesn't mean change it up every time there. That just means in this rehearsal, that's something should be happening mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to, yeah, shape it a different way or draw attention to the drums or, you know, highlight what the bass is doing or back to highlighting what the sweats in the score, you know. But yeah, so that that sounds like a you know obviously these settings sound like very rigorous, but you're, you're saying you still feel as though your kind of voice as a player is yeah being he fully... wants he wants it to be me yeah and then but totally. I, sometimes I'm like I just don't know what that is yet <laughs> yeah you know but um but that's the great thing about it's like a challenge you know like it's serious challenge yeah um to you know and then and I look look back and you know I've I've felt lost in that concept before like I don't know what I'm doing but now I'm like oh yeah I just got because of that I got better at when I want to like instantly coming up with and executing a really clear idea you know like if that's needed you know it's not always needed you know if you're if you're like in a free free space with people like in a flow or something or even in a you know time thing you don't always want to be thinking, you know? But, sure. Yeah. But like, uh, it's good to be able to access that. It's a, t- you know, a different way of playing and it can have a really interesting effect on the music, you know? Yeah. It's a weird, like that, 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 um, that particular context with the, with the one player playing the paper and the other player not, it's like, yeah. a, it's a very odd, like, like a dual awareness, I imagine. Yeah. 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 yeah it's almost a different energy. Like I, and the people, you know, the person playing the piece always really likes it. And I'm always like, is this really hard for them? You know, because it's like total fly shit, you know, like really yeah, yeah. detailed music they're playing. Totally. You know, totally. And, uh, but it's fun when you, like, you, then you can lock in with stuff. He's, you know, he doesn't have, there's no rules whatsoever, but yeah, he, he just wants it to be every bit of yourself you can possibly be, you know? Well, and then there's the other record, the, the one I just heard, the Convex Mirror one with, you know, oh, yeah. with where you're bringing the Haitian stuff in, right, which I thought right. was just a really cool, interesting trio that's going on there. Yeah. 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 And great, great sax playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That stuff's all that. He was conducting that a bit. There, there was parts. Um, you know, I'm playing all traditional rhythms, but he's he's interested in things coming apart and having this sort of mesh of different times going on you know which is really giving him what i think he felt like would be useful as an improviser when yeah. he was doing the horn parts you yeah know? so that was like that was basically just i mean how did how did that session happen like 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 he was just like i know you do this kind of drumming and i want to just yeah we had we we, we hang out you know fairly regularly yeah and he's always asking me about the haitian stuff and i'm telling you know i've been that came right after the, I think maybe the second time I went to Haiti and I was telling him about a ceremony that I was playing and hanging out at, you know, and, and, um, and he had wanted to do a, it didn't end up happening, but he, he had originally tra- he was trying to book a gig for summer solstice, I think a few years back, um, with, with like 12 drummers and him, <laughs> you know? So I think, wow. I think that was along those, that was a similar idea, but, for whatever reason that didn't work out and um then he i think he got the idea to do the the stuff with 
you know, he wanted to just get me in the studio a few times. One, one led to this Ermuz epigram uh-huh. record. And yep. then, and then the next time, actually one of those, one of the pieces on convex mirror was, was from the first day of that session. But, but even though I think he knew it was going to be a different record, but you know, he just wanted to explore that, you know, mm-hmm. and that was, the, that was the track with it away on it. Also. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Has that ba- has that band happened live? Yeah, we did a thing um, with three drummers and him. We played that middle piece, the slow slow piece, yeah. which is really nice, you know. Um, yeah, we did that at National Sawdust just once a few years. No, no, last maybe it was this year. It mm-hmm. might have been this year. And um, then I think we have something. I, I need to look at the schedule, but we have something in Poland in September, and it might be that. It, that might be a set on on the the bill, but, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. I, that was the plan at one point. I can't remember if it stayed that way. The other drummers involved at the live thing were the ones that you play with in in We All Break. No, actually, that that was it was. I think it was due to who was there, and also because they're great drummers. But it was Kenny Wallison and Siru. Oh, awesome, yeah. awesome! Because they're playing. I, I just showed them the parts, basically. Very cool. Yeah. Yep. Because they're. It, everything we're playing is simple you know i didn't i didn't have to even bust out a lot of variations on the lead part you know but um but due to the tempo thing it just sounds you know get that's what gives it the sound mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was more john's idea of it you know and the other i you know almost think you could put in different timbres you know if you wanted yeah yeah um i guess i was curious like if there's just like a f- few more like things and ideas I just want to throw up. But like, I was curious about, um, okay. So you're, you're mentioning, you know, you know, the jazz stuff and the heavy rock stuff and all that. And like, just some discussion of like Prague, was there a point at which like somebody showed you like Ma Vishnu or something? And that was like, Oh, like a light bulb thing. Like, yeah, yeah, actually. Um, that was high school, you know, mm-hmm. that was that same drum teacher. I mentioned that. First okay. One. Okay. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he just kept alluding to Billy Cobham and and kind of the innovations he had, you know. And a lot of times that was stuff with how he was breaking up paradiddles on the drum set, and um, even how he had the, he thought he was the first to use the china kind of you know upside down and and like, yeah, uh, what do you call that perpendicular yeah. to the ground, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. like which became a staple in like metal. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, but certain things he really, you know, I mean, you know, that's not even mentioning just the blazing technique, you know, (laughs) like power, power, single strokes. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that was one. And, and King Crimson was big for Mm -hmm, me, mm -hmm. especially like Bill Bruford Mm, there and mm. Red and all that 70s stuff, you know? Um, and that was around the time both those bands were when I had that, the band, that started by playing the Metallica ripoff stuff and then, you know, segued into space out free, mm-hmm, free mm-hmm. stuff, you know? So, yeah. And then I never got into, like I was into the first, the yes albums with Bill Bruford. Sure. And, and I never really even listened to stuff past that with mm-hmm. Alan White, you know? Um, and I never, I couldn't deal with Emerson, Lake and Palmer for some reason, you know? I guess I, yeah, I was, I've always kind of like, I'm not, I don't know everything about every band, you know, I, or I, I, I usually just know one 
band or one period of one band very well. Sure. Like I kind of, I have sort of a finite capacity for information yeah yeah, yeah. You know, yeah totally. like matt matt mitchell or craig right right where it just gets incredibly encyclopedic yeah for right. sure for yeah. sure um but like just, yeah just out of curiosity too like the um the metal like listening yeah um because you know we talked metallica we talked slayer yeah just i'm, I'm only brought up the biggest bands possible yeah know? but like, like 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 after that like like what about what about like the nineties? Like, were you like a Pantera fan? And like, you know, I actually was not, not. I was scared of them because of the, what I thought was a glam metal past. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. Like, you know, it was, it was there. And you yeah. know what? Like Craig, I think Craig used to listen to them and a long time ago. And, and he sort of, well, yeah, he turned me on to that dime bag guitar uh, clinic at the guitar store on YouTube. Have you seen that? Not sure if I have. From 93. It's incredible. Like, you should really watch that. Wow. It's him just talking and... He's a hilarious guy. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, then then I started... I was like, oh, yeah, this was much better than I thought. And and also, there was this, like, Sacramento bands, especially in the hardcore scene. Like, Pantera kind of changed their whole thing, and they went, you know, like, the straight-edge thing became this, like meat-eating booze and you know like i just i thought they were having an effect because they were so huge that i wished the music would go in a different direction yeah like i was getting more um i guess i was drinking too much but i was you know i wasn't proud of it yeah (laughs) you know know, i kind of i was hoping for more like aesthetic values yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know (laughs) i don't know i was probably just fucking up tight you know but um yeah, anyway, I wasn't into them, but um, I was, what was I into? I go through just phases of things. Like King Diamond's always been a big thing, mm-hmm. Merciful Fate. But, old, you know, just older stuff, like yeah. pre-thrash almost, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And they have some, I was just listening to Don't Break the Oath oh, a few yeah. weeks ago. And Great like, album. And there's some t- things I still can't. I never like learned those songs on drums or anything, but I was like, what the hell? Like there's some turnarounds that are so weird, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're all just, it's all just like dot, dot. It's on a grid, but, yeah. but it's like, what, how did they come up with that? You know? Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. I liked, you know, sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, this is all, yeah, I always, I, I keep liking bands that are very on the edge. You might not even call them metal. Oh, you know, yeah. You know? I mean, it's yeah. all part of this. Yeah. yeah. But wait, I got, I'm, I'm just blanking. There's a million bands I'm not thinking of, you know. What about like, um, like death metal and black metal and things like that? Like, uh-huh. was that, was there a time when you were really going after that stuff? Or I got, I liked death metal. Well, I mean, I guess, would you call the, the Tampa stuff? Is that death metal? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah like I listen to Obituary a lot. Mm-hmm. Listen to um, Deicide, mm-hmm. Napalm Death a ton, and that you know that's more grindcore. That's mm-hmm. almost like art music. You know? Yeah, yeah, Car- yeah. Carcass. Um, you know nothing like you're definitely not going to hear of a band from me that you didn't know. You mm-hmm. know, but like, um, and then when it got, I, and I really liked Meshuggah when I heard it. You know, and, and I still think that there's. A, do you know that EPI? Oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I mean, I haven't checked out every one of their records, but for me, that's like my favorite thing they've ever yeah, done. Yeah, awesome. Like compositionally, it's really mm-hmm. incredible, you know, and it's heavy, you mm-hmm. know. Um, like I don't, I don't get 
as obsessed with the what's rhythmically going on in it as I do. Like if if the piece really works, then that's what. If the piece is really satisfying as a whole, that's yeah. what. And that you know that could be any. That could be simple music. That could be complex music. You totally. Know? Yeah. So I don't get, and it's got to be. I feel like Meshuggah is heavy, and that's the, mm. that's the most important. Part, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then by the time. You know, there's all this stuff I missed because I was just hanging out with such assholes. No, I'm just, <laughs> no, and I was one of them. No, but like Theory of Ruin, we we'd tour with, we'd play with like Misery Index and all these metal bands, and we, you know, like High on Fire and stuff, and it was just way better than I. I I just wasn't checking it out because I was like, man, I just not, I'm just not, not interested, you know, mm. at the time. Yeah. Like, or I felt like their fucking audience hates us. I hate everybody, you know, like mm-hmm. that was kind of our attitude. But we also did some abysmal tours, you know, so that didn't help. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it, like High on Fire is a good band, you know, mm, I yeah. should have been, I should have been listening more, you know, and, and just we'd tour across the country with different, different heavy bands. And rarely did we ever, we never felt like we fit in, you know, and that, that can just get as much as that's like a badge of honor. It's also can get really tiring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. Cause like a club show or something, it's yeah. like, you know, it's not First, as, first there's a sound person. You know, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. And anyway, you were saying, uh, no, I, I was just saying like, like, yeah, it's like in that setting, like super eclectic bills are maybe not the best. Yeah. Which I, I was, I was ready. I was down for the Melvins thing because also like they've done so much weird shit that's yeah. like taxed their audience oh, to the yeah. ultimate level, yeah. you know. So when they had us open, I was not. I wasn't expecting it to go well, but I didn't really care. I was like, "That's that's those guys are awesome. That's all I care about." You know, like they're open and they wanted Trevor to do this thing, and you know, and then it actually went over really well mm, somehow. Yeah. You know, um, so that was. That was good. That was just a different thing. The theory, theory of ruin. We were totally unknown, and 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 anyone that did know us thought it was going to sound like fudge tunnel or nail bomb, mm-hmm. which is even farther away from what we were doing. You know. Um, oh yeah, I like Sepultura. Mm. Yeah, you know another huge band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. And anyone else you're thinking of? Um, no, I mean, no, not necessarily like in that zone. I was just kind yeah, of, yeah. I was kind of wondering because like, I think I was, um, I was listening to the, I think it's the most recent Good for Cows where it kind of went more metal. Oh yeah. With, the, with Jevons playing electric bass, not playing yeah. like drums. Yeah. And, and like, I guess I was kind of wondering where, where that, how that shift happened. Hmm. That I think that was a little bit more Devin than myself. Like he got, he had been, he was always been more explicitly into metal than me, mm-hmm. you know. And I just like playing loud and aggressive, you know. But but he was listening to. We were both listening to a lot of black metal, but it was kind of late in the game, I would say. But he, you know, I think it just sort of was like you'd hear like, um maybe like early mayhem stuff. Yeah. And then it just sounded so punk, you know, Mm. like, and, uh, like, you know, dark throne records, they, you know, just the, the sounds of them. Um, like it didn't strike me as technical music at all up until like later mayhem, which is insane. Right. Yes. Like, um, 
yeah anyway like that that sort of early stuff like i was like wow this is really fucking cool you know like how come i didn't know about this at the time but you know in that that era of the 90s i was playing tons of jazz Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then just like as much and I, i was in heavy bands that weren't trying to be heavy bands you know right 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 <laughs> but but yeah that that came out of that and then yeah i feel like other than the occasional blast beat i i just sound like myself like i'm using wide open drums and just sort of playing along to the stuff we wrote sure, sure 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 and then i was playing some electronics on it too but it was more to get interact with Devin's harmonic stuff really you know mm-hmm I was going to ask that because yeah, I remember hearing like like moments of kind of blast oriented stuff, and I was wondering if you'd ever like, is that kind of a technique something you've ever like said? Oh, I'm going to sit down and like try to get some of that going, or like, yeah. When I when I heard like Napalm Death, I just would was like, oh, I wonder how that is. And there was this band in Modesto called the Meat Shits. Uh-huh. <laughs> they they, uh, they were doing that exact thing at the time, and we went and we'd go play shows with them when I was in high school. You know. And that didn't make any, you know, or that was that band that I was talking about that was Metallica ripoff. Right, 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 right. But at that era, that that was just because we were a band that agreed to drive to Modesto and play at this party. You know, that it didn't make a whole lot of stylistic sense other than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, you know, I've I've always been interested in blast beat stuff, and yeah, some of what Devin was playing, there was just really no other option, you know. And it wasn't even that. It's tricky for me when it's, this is a drummer thing, but like when it's in between playing, you know, as fast as I can from the kick and when it's in between like hardcore and a blast beat, it's like, what do I do with my hi-hat hand? Right, right. Like I can't quite play Like eighth notes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then then it's like, oh man, do I just, do I sound lazy, you know? (laughs) Yeah, the right hand is always this thing where it's like, you're supposed to keep it going, but it doesn't really matter. It's just almost like that's what you're supposed to do is play it. Yeah. yeah, but I was fast. like trying to make every note, and I've seen Lombardo do it at times, like faster than what I thought was possible. You know, yeah, like. But then I'm trying to play really is really loud too, and it's, I don't know, it's a fun challenge. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the sort of like blast beat uh, aesthetic and the and the aesthetic of like true power yeah. don't really often go together yeah, yeah 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 but then looking back mick harris looks like he's hitting hard and when i used to watch him i think i yeah. thought he's not hitting hard at all but then just compared to where it's gone he was hitting hard you know yeah i think and of- there's other old older school cats that do that you know that they, they just bring the keep the aggression in yeah it. and that's what i'm attracted to oh you know? for sure yeah 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 because yeah, because Mick Harris, the part he wasn't worrying about was like the technique part. Yeah, but that's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. it's great. Yeah. yeah, but it's just yeah, it's it's like there's so many different wings of it now where it's you know to a certain type of player, it's basically about moving as little as possible and yeah, basically yeah, yeah. barely hitting. Yeah, I've been um, told to move less by people. Wow. Occasionally, you know? yeah, and that's not. And now I'm finally open enough where I'm. Not where I'm going to be like, okay, that's that's a different school, you know? Sure. Yeah. Because there's a lot. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot in that more, like, technical, for lack of a better word, approach. And, you know, that whole, there's bands that just focus on that yeah, kind of stuff. And exactly. It's, it's pretty amazing, but I've never, yeah. I just, the aggression thing is important to me. Mm. Probably the most important thing, you know? 
And that's what, yeah, leading back to things I think I've not pulled off. Sometimes I've let the aggression, it gets in the way of, it can get in the way of tempo and executing things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like just focusing on the adrenaline part. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. but like that's, you know, I've always had, when I'm hitting hard, there's an adrenaline thing. And I actually have to watch my time in those cases because that's when I can maybe not rush, but just come in too fast. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, you, you mentioned him in passing, but like, what did you learn or take away from being on tour with Dave Lombardo? Like, what was, what was that like? Oh man. Well, yeah, like that was, that was another drummer that I've looked up to for a long time, you know? And yeah, I just watch him every night, you know? And, um, yeah, he'd go through different, sometimes he was, I mean, it was it was Phantomos, so it's not right. It's not like seeing a slayer right, 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 show. Right, right. It's very stop and start, yep. you know. But um, yeah, just I mean, he has so much character, you know, and personality, and like all that. Even you know, even in the fast stuff, it just you can you just know it's him, you know. And it's not it's it's partly a sound thing, but it's not just that. You know, he's got like a feel. Yes, you know? he does. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's hard. It's crazy having a when you think of thrash or, you know, like, you know, the post hardcore beats faster than that, you know, it's just like, Oh yeah. That, that, like, how do you have a naturally have a feel in something like that? And, you know, he's like, that's like the prototype him, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's pretty incredible, but, um, you know, I would watch and And at that time I was really in my, like, everything should be as hard hitting as possible. And, um, and, but I did like he he'd flux he'd pick his spots or he'd just get excited and start pounding you know sometimes and other things were more like you could tell he's focused on the groove or something you know so it was just interesting seeing you know he's probably like I don't, he must be at least ten years older than me or mm-hmm. something like that you know mm-hmm. and and so it was just watch it was cool watching him at that stage you know and doing this totally fucked up mic music you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did like he he was a. You know, I could tell his some of it. We had some of the same priorities. Like he was like, you know, he talked to Trevor. He was like, "Man, your drummer is great." Like when he first when he first played, he's like, "He he's really loud. He hits really hard." You know, like, like, like <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's just there's no question that's a good thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, okay, and um, yeah, and then and also he was like open. You know, he'd see me practicing with brushes. And he's like, "Man, how do you you know like." Like, I, I need to get better at brushes and, like, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was just, like, really cool you know? yeah. and fun to talk to. We got him into the shags. Nice, know? nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was, like, I think I think he said something like, yeah, there's a, at first, he's, like, there's a, actually a, a limited, but there's limits to my open-mindedness. And I think this might be right at the edge, you know. <laughs> and then he listened to it more and someone explained how it was, like, this dad that got yeah, his daughter, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the yeah. kids into the music and, and then he's like, wow, what a supportive father, you know, and, like, and he's like, you know, like, and then he's, by the end, he's just screaming shags, you know, by the end, like by the end of this, wow. this car ride, like he was like digging it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think he had heard the meters before and we started playing him that. And he's like, oh man, this drummer's so greasy and was like, like air drumming it like exactly right, you know, Whoa. like maybe, maybe the hand sticking would be different or something, but he just really checked stuff out, mm-hmm. you know, like real super into music, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm was like 
was the meters a really big thing for you? Like, like, did you get heavy into that funk stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I was really, I'd say the biggest, the funk thing I loved the most was Funkadelic, like mm, the older mm. records, and you know, Tiki Fullwood in particular, that drummer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Zig and the meters was, mm. yeah, that stuff was amazing. Um, yeah, I've always like, and you know, tons of James Brown, things like that. Sure, but sure. I'd say the meters was as important as all those others. Definitely. You know? And I didn't understand, you know, like now, you know, I hear like Ed Blackwell or James Black or, you know, some baby Dodd stuff and then yeah. Zig and I kind of see it as that whole area of the country, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like I can hear it. Yeah. Um, what about like seeing Melvin's verse, like t- being up close and touring with Dale, like, like was it, did like more, you know, did more information come to light yeah. being that close to it? Yeah, definitely. Oh, and actually, yeah, back to this, the Dave Lombardo thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some technical things. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. You know, mm. like just how he'd, strike shit and how he'd get the rebound and all that stuff and how fast his hands moved and you know, right. how he'd always get right back into the right position. You know, when you're playing those speed beats, you know, you just kind of got to do that. And then Dale, yeah, he, um, I'd seen him a bunch, but this was also a different era where that, you know, the music was a little different. It wasn't that ultra sledgy, sure. pounding, you know, really sparse weird shit you know there was some of that but it was you know there was like like medium tempo grooves and just just how he'd like i don't know if you remember that it's that i think it's the first song on that melvin's meets less record mm, mm, mm. They, they were playing that every night and it was su- it's such a great track yeah yeah yeah, yeah. For the, the riff is amazing right and the drums you know you know, I, like, like how he'd fill in that. I'd I'd listen. I just like listen every night. So I'm, I was in the front of the stage a lot, but I totally. sometimes on the side just watching him. You know, and this was sort and of just before they started the big business thing. It was like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Kevin Ritmanis's uh, maybe not last tour, but one of the last, right one of the last tours. Yeah, and um, yeah. Then I think when he exited, they went they went bass and drums and and on that tour dale was like yeah we're thinking of adding another drummer or something like that i think he he mentioned that wow yeah yeah that stuff they did after that the first thing with big business is so great the uh senile animal yeah and Uh, that that's their first record with them with big business yeah Yeah. i i heard that but i never i should get that record yeah um yeah like i guess um what else was i gonna was i I gonna ask you um yeah, I feel like I I read okay, this this is this this drummer is not even necessarily related to this whole conversation, but I feel like I read another interview where you mentioned him. Like what was your take on like Hella and 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 Zach? Zach. Yeah. Oh man. Um I think at first I didn't even know what I didn't even know where to put it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like they're they're he's from Sacramento, you know, like not far well at the time I think he's from the neighborhood like really close to where I grew up, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I didn't, I think I saw them. I can't remember. If, I think I heard them on record. I heard about them. Like Mia, my wife saw them. Yeah. And Eli Cruz and all these, everyone's looks like, Hey, have you heard Zach? And this other, we had another mutual friend that it was telling me about him since before Hella, even, I think like this kid just started playing drums and listen, he sounds like this already, you know? And, um, yeah, and then I, I ended up 
me when theory rune was on tour we met and then you know next time i was in sacramento i looked him up and we got together to we just played all day you know and and you know greg greg sonia was a friend and he was playing with them by then too mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. yeah a nervous cop yeah yeah they that ended up in yeah, that yeah, yeah right for sure what was joanna knew someone that or there was a heart player maybe yeah yeah anyway um but zach's just a great guy you know and like really a creative force you know like i think he was doing all the visual art yeah had like a million bands going later you know did the death grips thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah technically he's got a lot of crazy stuff going on and you know he talked about he was like man you're so expressive like and i was like oh yeah i'm trying to just shape all this stuff that's going on mm-hmm. like when we were playing duo you know and um and he's like yeah i just i just flow you know that's that's how he thought of it you know Mm-hmm. like i don't know i don't know if it's a physical thing or if it's a musical thing or probably right connect everything's connected you know like i'd be interested to he be inside his brain for yeah a bit or his ears you know yeah like all that mm-hmm. um but yeah he's he's a bit younger than me and yeah I'm glad he's around. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what, what about Greg? I mean, he's like another, like, like, a, a, you know, sort of leading drummer in terms of what's been going on in totally. the past yeah. you know, 15 years. Yeah. Greg, I met, um, again, Mia met him first. Mia was in this band called the mugs. It was like mm-hmm. a punk, punk band. And, um, they'd all, I think they'd play shows together. Like, early deer hoof like i think they i think it was rob and greg and i don't know who else but was in this band niter pit and then they okay. started deer hoof with satomi i don't know if satomi overlapped with niter pit at all be easy to find out um but uh yeah anyway i heard i just heard about deer hoof being a band that i people were like you would like this band you mm-hmm. know, like they're actually they're doing really interesting stuff it's really noisy you know at the time it was like I think a lot of screaming on Satomi's part, which has really changed after that, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah. I saw them. I, th- I can't remember the first show, you know, we, anyway, I, I saw them and I ended up at Mills college with Greg and John Dietrich. Oh, uh, okay. And that was, John started there before he became the guitar player in that band. I remember right. when Rob, who's a friend of all of ours left to go up to Alaska. And, um, you know, Greg was like, yeah, I think we're going to, asked John Dietrich to play with us, you know, and that was the beginning of that, you know, I remember I was like, Oh wow. You can just, you know, I think, was that before? I don't remember, but theory of ruin at the, it was around the time we had to get a different bass player. Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. like really conflicted. Like, should we keep the group or, you know, and then, um, you know, Deerhoof ended up getting John in there and, you know, Rob later was like, Oh, it makes so much more sense, you know, Mm. or it makes a lot of sense for them just what they've done yeah you know? um and they're, yeah they're both really interesting guitar players mm. in t- completely different ways you know but yeah i saw when i saw greg i was like holy shit this is great you know like i love the way he played and um just the, like really <laughs> fucking hitting hard you know? oh yeah yeah <laughs> and, and like interesting ideas and then and then I sort of knew him as a, just like, like a thinker, you know, a musical thinker, really, up at Mills and stuff. Like, I'd always try to get his opinion on stuff, and we became friends, you know. And um, and John, definitely. I've done a lot of playing with John over the years. And some playing with Greg, too. We had a we both played on a Shoo Shoo track together. Oh, nice. Things like that. 
we had a really short-lived duo called Tart Art Parts. <laughs> nice. Is he, what's his, like, jazz interest or, like, like you know, is, is he super into all the, you know, the jazz drummers we he, mentioned? Or? I probably, I actually don't know. Um, I don't know what his, I really don't know his background as, a like, a player, you know? Mm-hmm. I know, he, I think he went to Oberlin as a, I know more of, like, his, what he studied compositionally, right. you know? And, um, but we did, we, when the day we, you know, in the early 2000s, we went down to play to San Jose, just took like an hour, hour plus drive to San Jose to record with Jamie. And, um, you know, he, I kind of let him, you know, he always just has great recorded music. So I just sort of let him DJ and, or wanted him to DJ and, and he's like, yeah, are you into Tony Williams with Miles? And, you know, there was, there was a lot of a good amount of straight ahead stuff and other totally weird things also, you know? And he was just like, is it, do you think this symbol would sound this great record if, you know, Teo wasn't producing, you know, like, like he was trying to figure out why, why it sounded the way it did, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I don't, that's like the biggest mystery. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think he has checked, you know, he's, he's checked so much stuff out. Yeah. Cause there was also a period where they would just practice on, like they called it sticks and picks, you know, like, like just practice in their apartment, you know, in, in SF, you know, like right in the city, you know? So I think he's done a lot of practicing away from the drum set, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which means listening and thinking and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You yeah. know, like all that, you know, he can play deep grooves, but then, you know, he's also doing a lot of the, tension the one other question which you kind of alluded to before and obviously you know we both know craig and matt and all of these jazz musicians who are super into metal and things like that like yeah like that, that's why when you asked me i was like oh man i don't even qualify you oh know, yeah like, well, like, <laughs> i mean no <laughs> I'm I always, maybe you had an idea no yeah. no i'm always just sort of interested in like whatever anyone's mm-hmm. been checking out but like like have there been a lot of other musicians over the years in either of those settings where you've you know and and again obviously we know you know Devin and uh, and Craig and Matt and people like that have there been other cases where there's been you ran into someone who had particularly open-minded taste you realize like you were in the jazz setting and someone's got you know super metal knowledge or vice versa yeah that that happens um I'm trying to remember exact um exact uh situations but well what alex skolnick <laughs> no i don't know him but you know oh, yeah yeah I mean, no yeah. for sure yeah <laughs> anyway um yeah i'm, I'm trying to, but uh, no that has happened but usually it's so like i feel like now people are actually acting on those things mm-hmm. you know like it used to be like i've met people or i had no idea there may, might be a completely straight ahead jazz player with no they sound like jim hall or something there's yeah. no evidence that they're into this <laughs> total other thing and then they, they'll be like oh yeah this, you know like talk like you know talk about every metal record yeah, yeah, most yeah, yeah. of which i've never heard before right you know? right right so yeah yeah that that's happened but now yeah i think people seem to be i mean like dan's band you know for sure and matt I think that it, the influences in his music is just not so overt, you know? Yeah. 
and Craig, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Trevor is out. Just that's how it's always been. With exactly. Him, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. You know, yeah, coming, yeah, back to the like, kind of makes me think of the Good for Cows Adumla record. I really like that record. Yeah, it's but, great. But at the time, I, I remember, I remember going, "Am I? Are we?" Or I guess I was kind of consciously going to be not too cooperative in the idea that it was metal. You know, like I was just like, I, I've never claimed that. I don't think. I'm not going to reference it, you know, unless it, you know, like I said, the blast beats that just, there was really nothing else to play, yeah. you know? Um, whereas just based on what Devin was listening to at the time, which was mostly that like black metal, you know, I think he had less of a, it was less of a problem for him. <laughs> you know, I think he was just like, Oh yeah, this stuff should sound like this. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But, but it's like, it seems like for you, like maybe, and this is just like a hypothesis, like any genre, like let alone metal, like it seems like maybe you have a slight wariness about being too on the nose with any of these things. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's a hard, it's hard to explain. Well, especially metal, because, well, the metal thing is specific, because I've never been on the inside of that yeah and then yeah. i've been in a in an antagonistic relationship with it at least once you know meaning Wait, like the theory of ruin stuff oh that rare yeah. yeah exactly and um yeah hmm yeah i guess i don't i don't know um yeah i almost feel like it's not about not being on the nose with a style i yeah i guess i just don't want to i mean i obviously want to avoid cliches and sure. stuff like that um to an extent mark's rebo's gotten me into the idea of cliche on to some level <laughs> like using cliches yeah, for, yeah. for the greater good um yeah i don't yeah i don't know i guess maybe that's true but but like i don't i'm not sure it's right to say like i'm not well i don't know yeah, I, I'm not sure I can mm, mm. answer, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say I have a problem with sure, sure, straight, sure. straight ahead jazz, for instance. Oh no, 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 you know, yeah, like, no, no, yeah, no, no. I didn't mean it like that. Yeah, I, yeah. That like, um, but yeah, I guess like when you get to the point of like your own ECM record or something, like it's not. Oh right. You can't. You don't. It's not really worthwhile to call that anything. It's just like those are your pieces, and you're playing it with those two people, and that's that. It's like yeah. it's not really classifying it beyond that is yeah. not really going to be that useful. But that's my favorite setting uh, or that kind of setting. And actually that, that playing with those two guys is one of my favorite musical situations mm -hmm. also, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I was really comfortable to do that. And then if something's like, Oh, you're doing a metal record now that that's, I'd be less comfortable with that yeah. mindset. Right. You know? Right. Well, do you feel like, like, because you were talking about, 
you know, earlier in life, like feeling like, you know, this thing of, you know, you couldn't talk about one around people who were into the other or something like, do you feel like in this, in this moment, and you already, we already touched on a little bit, like, but like in this moment, like in New York, do you feel that like all this stuff is just sort of in play and everyone's cool about it? And there's really no more like, like this sort of prejudices are broken down somewhat. I, I do feel like that, but maybe it's just the people I hang with, you know, um, it can't be that like that all the way across the board, you know, that, that, that broken down or open, you know, but yeah, I, ju- I just see people doing all kinds of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, even the, the new, the new music's entrance into the scene and vice versa, you know, like that's, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that where I was in California, but it was also the time, you know, like, like back then. Mm-hmm. Like I'd play a notated gig, there probably wouldn't even be any improv in it, you know. And mm-hmm. now it's, now it's like I feel like in a short amount of time, people like classical players are expected to improvise, you know. Right. And the, but this is like a bringing up a debate from the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a, sounds like I'm reading a Cage interview. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it's like yeah, it's just interesting, like this sort of like condition of New York music or whatever mm-hmm. that, like you said, it's sort of becoming global where it's just like, it's just sort of taken for granted that, that somebody wouldn't be walled off to any of this stuff as a rule that you just, as a rule. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You could not be interested. Right. Like, like, legitimately. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, I guess I just, I mean, that's, there's been that those kind of breaking things down from a long time, you know, since way before I got here. But um, yeah, it's nice, you know. I I don't I don't feel like it's lacking discipline, but I feel like it is open, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just think about like you know, like you said, it has been happening before, and you know, maybe, but like let's say when when Naked City was happening or something, there was a real antagonism to that yeah, you know like there was yeah like this like the jazz knob eat shit type of thing right and like like now if you were to bring that stuff in it's not i don't think you're gonna get so much like policing or pushback yeah you know yeah i'd agree with that yeah. I, w- I wasn't around but you know ba- from what i hear yes <laughs> right 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 <laughs> you know but like yeah yeah i don't know and you know i mean just kind of blending of or using different elements it's like a lot you know the art ensemble stuff i just think of all the stuff and then even fusion you know which exactly which i've i've been wary of fusion since you know my senior year of high school (laughs) you know or i don't know i you know like i guess it's so with some of the technical metal thing like i'm where it becomes almost about the instrument you know like that's where i take a step back Yeah, yeah yeah Like it seems like you're like like a little more like grit in it or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. That that's part of it. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I could listen to like extremely smooth minimalism all day. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Also. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, we did well. Just just like to throw out one more thing. Like mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't talk specifically about like Tony Williams' lifetime. Like like oh yeah like like where did that come in yeah a little a little bit later for me yeah. like i was really focused on his well i did listen to a, 
that record um oh i can't remember what it's called it's with um alan holdsworth like later later believe like, it yeah believe it yeah. yeah um i listened to that i always thought he was a really cool rock drummer actually oh yeah you know like i mean it was chopsy but it wasn't it was super musical you mm-hmm. know even like in the so-called fusion stuff mm-hmm. but i think he left a lot of his beats had a lot of a spare quality to him that i liked you know and um yeah and then but then i think i heard that first and went back to, but i was already listening to the miles era stuff yeah and then i mean the, the acoustic stuff and then i think i went back to the actual you know the stuff with larry young yep. and like like that you know and that was more that was kind of so arty i mean it's just it's like a really cool approach you know mm-hmm. i don't know it wasn't like too, I was listening to tons of free music then too, but it was such a blend that it was kind of fell in a lot of cracks, you know? Mm. And, um, um, I guess I, for some reason I've listened to just different eras of him a little more. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Totally. And then, yeah, but the, then like uh, tons of like electric miles stuff, mm. you know, mm. like especially live evil and like stuff with Jack. Absolutely. It, you know? Yeah. And then the Al Foster stuff too, like the yeah. I remember, I was sick for like a week and just had the Agarta thing oh, like for God. a week straight. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, "This is heavy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the right setting for that. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. I th- I feel like that's we we covered tons of stuff, and uh, th- that that was that was awesome. Um, oh, cool. I feel like we're pretty. Sure. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should interview you. We do the part two. <laughs> I, let's. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm down. Um. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. Huge thanks to Chess for his time and stay tuned for the next episode of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast coming soon. <laughs>